morning, Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties. I'm feeling sprightly and perky today, possibly because I managed to squeeze in a four-hour doze yesterday. A four-hour doze. I went to bed at one in the afternoon after a very tiring weekend of driving all around the country and then rescuing my wife, who'd broken down on the A3. Woke up at uh, three and thought, oh, I've not finished this doze yet. I'm going to have another 15 minutes. Two more hours passed. Wonderful. Is there anything better than a great British doze off? Lots coming up on the show this morning. Always uh, keen to get your thoughts on these, including... Kenneth Clark's mouth has got him into trouble again. This time, he's described the Muslim veil as a most peculiar co- costume and, quote, a kind of a bag. He was talking about them getting in the way of juries and judges reading body language in court. But could it be he's hit on something more general? Do they get in the way of community understanding? We're also talking adoption. There are hundreds of children waiting for mums and dads, and mums and mums and dads and dads, apparently, in the three counties. But people are holding back. We'll find out why. And the firefighters did it on Friday. They're doing it again today. We'll bring you the latest on the fire strikes. Facebook.com forward slash BBC3CR. You can send me a text, 81333. Start your text, 3CR. Or you can give me a call, 08459... Four double five five double five. Across beds, hearts, and bucks. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. Ken Clark's in the headlines uh, for mouthing off again. This time about the culturally, culturally sensitive and yet wildly contentious subject of the burqa and the veil. So, how did the former justice secretary describe the item worn by some Muslim women in a bid to preserve their modesty? He called it, and I quote, "a most peculiar costume." I'm joined by my producer, Catherine Boyle. Catherine, he's done it again, hasn't he? Yes, he is. Ken Clark is one of those uh, people in Parliament who's known as a character. Um, He's not known to mince his words, and indeed this has led him to getting himself into hot water before. You may remember a couple of years ago he suggested some rapes were more serious than others. Uh, He later apologised for that and said that's not at all what he meant. At this time, Mr Clark's comments come in the course of an interview with Radio 4. He was talking to the world this weekend, um, and he was asked about women wanting to wear veils whilst giving evidence in court. Here's what he said. I do think it's a most peculiar costume for people to adopt in the 21st century, but that's not for me to decide when they're not actually engaged in some serious issue such as giving evidence. That's the bit which uh, I think it's almost impossible to have a proper trial if one of the persons in a kind of bag. So a fairly moderate response to the question as to whether the veil should be worn in public, but a very forthright description of the item itself when uh, used in court, calling it a kind of a bag. He went on to say that he'd been a lawyer in his younger years and he didn't think that witnesses should be allowed to wear face coverings while giving evidence because it stops the jury being able to tell whether or not they were lying. And he said while it was impossible to know how each of us decides whether or not someone is trustworthy, body language and expression is important and something judges and juries really rely on and that is impossible to read when someone is, in his words, cloaked. Um, He also said it may be that there needs to be an arrangement um, with screening or or something like that, but he does believe that covering faces undermines trials. Now, Mr Clark is a very intelligent man. He must have known that these comments would be viewed as controversial and and slightly inflammatory. I'm sure that's the case. In fact, he was at great pains to tell the interviewer that his views did not come from an Islamophobic attitude, and he said that he believes that anyone should be able to wear whatever they like in public as long as it's decent. He doesn't want laws to restrict or interfere with that. He was merely concerned about the ability of judges and juries to read witnesses' behaviour. 
Now, meanwhile, there is a second Burqa story in the press, isn't there? There is, and this is the case of a Somali terror suspect who has breached his terrorism prevention restrictions by slipping out of a mosque wearing a burqa on Friday. We've seen him on CCTV in some of the newspapers. A judge has lifted a ban on naming the 27-year-old. His name is Mohammed Ahmed Mohammed. And that's in an effort to help Scotland Yard track him down. The ports and airports have been notified, and while he's not considered a threat, the public are not advised to approach him. But it, it does raise questions, doesn't it, about how untouchable and unapproachable clothes, and these clothes in particular, make a person, something that Ahmed Mohammed is used to his favour in this case. Thank you very much, Catherine. Speak to you in a little bit for the newspaper review. 08459 455 555 is the telephone number. I, this raises a couple of points. There is the specific point, isn't there, of the burkers in courts should they be allowed in courts um ken clark says well it's difficult to tell if someone's selling the truth or to, you, you, when, when someone's talking giving evidence in court um that, that ken clark and others believe that you need to be able to see all of their face to uh, to judge whether they're telling the truth if they're exaggerating things like that so there's that aspect to it oh eight four five nine four double five five double five and i suppose this b- brings us on to the broader uh, conversation does it get in the way D- does the burqa does the veil get in the way of well society i suppose community understanding is it detrimental to have women wearing these things where all you can see are their eyes or is it just freedom of choice freedom of expression hey this is the great thing about this country you can wear pretty much what you want uh, need to get your views on this this morning. You can go to the Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash BBC3CR. Or, I think this is going to be the kind of um, subject, going to be the kind of subject, uh, where it's better if we discuss this on the phone, where we, we can kind of explore each other's ideas and thoughts on this. So, pick up the phone. 08459 455 555. Of course, great kudos is awarded to the first caller of the day. Who's it going to be? Who's it going to be? Who's going to be the first caller of the day? 08459 455 555. Well, I know what the first record of the day is going to be. It's Ghostbusters. It's uh, hot chocolate started with a kiss. Morning, sleepy eyes. This is Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio, 08459 555. Does the veil get in the way of community understanding? I'm trying to think. Uh, when I walk down the streets and I see someone in a veil, I don't really... Well, I notice it, of course. It'd be churlish to say I don't notice it. It doesn't make me think either way. When I was a kid, I found it weird. If I'm completely honest, as a young boy, I could not understand... Uh, why people would do that. I'm still not quite sure why people would want to do that, but it, 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 it doesn't bother me here nor there, really. But does it bother you, in general, and in court? How does it make you feel about it being worn in court? 08459 455 555. And Ken Clark describing it as a kind of a bag. It, uh, yeah, I can sort of see what he's saying, but it's not the best way of phrasing it, is it? You'd think he would put forward a slightly contentious viewpoint like that in perhaps slightly more sympathetic language. Wouldn't you? He's a silly old fish, isn't he? 08459 455 555 is the uh, telephone number. Facebook.com forward slash BBC3CR. We'll be talking about adoption a bit later on in the show after a call we received last last week from a a mixed-race couple. I think there was a Hungarian and... uh, What was the other? uh, Mauritian, that was it. Hungarian and Mauritian. They attempted to adopt, uh, and Luton Borough Council said, "Uh Uh-uh, I don't think so. If you've got uh, any stories about adoption, good or bad, 
if you've been adopted or you are an adoptee or you've tried and you've been knocked back, could you give us a call this morning and, and tell me your story? It's something I don't know very much about. I know, shock horror. Something I know very, very little about. So I'm keen to get your stories on this this morning. 08459 455 555. BBC Three Counties Radio. It's a quarter past six. Let's get the travel news now. Here's David Harris. 525,600. <laughs> oh, for goodness sake. Morning, Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio. It's National Adoption Week. What does that mean? Buy one, get one free. Is that how it works? I don't know. But there are staggering amounts of children still waiting to be adopted. Nearly 200 across the three counties waiting to be adopted, with many waiting for more than a year. Well, the British Association for Adoption and Fostering says those looking to adopt are being hypercritical of their potential ability to care for an adopted or fostered child. Well, Louise Hocking is Director of Child Placement at the British Association for Adoption and Fostering. Um, Good morning, Louise. Good morning. Louise, are people not realising that they are possibly suitable to adopt? I think that's exactly it. Um, Most people um, have some... Uh, myths or or preconceptions about who a suitable adopter might be. So they're unnecessarily ruling themselves out when they actually might be exactly the right person to come forward and adopt a child. What what kind of things uh, are, are, are required of adoptive parents? Well... Really, you have to be somebody who um, is able to open up your your heart and your home and your family to a child who needs that lifelong commitment. It's very much about your um, personal commitment and qualities and motivation. Lots of the things that people rule themselves out by are characteristics. Um, For example, people might think that if you're over 40 that you can't adopt. And that simply isn't true. Or they might be worried if they live in rented accommodation or on a low income, if they have a particular health or disability, if they're single. Some of those are the myths that mean that 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 single person, for example, might think, I don't know if I would be considered suitable. How do you adopt? Do you go to the council? Do you go online? I have no idea what what the procedure is. Well, um, there, there are a number of different ways. You, know, you need to go to an adoption agency, and an adoption agency could be your local authority. Uh, it could even be a neighbouring local authority, or it could be a voluntary adoption agency. So, for example, if you went uh, on BAF's website, which is www.baf, which is baaf.org.uk, you could find um, information about lo- local adoption agencies that would be uh, happy to have that first call for you. What might prevent you from adopting, Louise? We're going to be speaking to a couple later on who were told they were were knocked back by the the council because um, they were from different ethnic backgrounds and they wouldn't be able to find a child that would mix their specific match. Um, I mean, now the practice is that um, people of different ethnicities uh, adopt a child of a different ethnicity to themselves. Um, they would need to be assessed uh, and considered how they would meet that need for a child. But really, the the sort of things that might preclude somebody are are very much um, if somebody, uh, I suppose, wasn't able to really evidence that that they understood that this was absolutely a lifelong commitment to a child 
and they uh, couldn't really evidence that they could meet the, the needs of that child for the rest of their life. Um, I mean, there is training and preparation and mm. support for people uh, to help them work through those issues because lots of people don't arrive uh, already having worked all that through. And with uh, nearly 200 kids across the three counties alone waiting to be adopted, some for over a year, I'm guessing that implies there is a real shortage of adoptive parents. There really is. I I mean, uh, nationally, there are more than 4,000 children, and as you say, 200 across across the three counties. Um, Children should be placed within six months of, of the decision being made that they should be placed for adoption. But in actual fact, only about 75% are placed within a year. And, and the remaining 25% wait more than a year. Wow. Um, the children that tend to wait longest are older children, um, children in sibling groups, uh, children who might have specific medical need or developmental delay. Uh, and a year is such a long time in a mm. child's life. Louise, I appreciate your time this morning. Louise Hocking, Director of Child Placement at the British Association for Adopting and Fostering. What are your adoption stories? 08459 455 555. You can send me a text, 81333. Start your text, 3CR. A little bit of Paul Simon. Oh, Catherine Boyle was joining into the uh, instrument. <laughs> Such you're being tickled by Justin Dealey. <laughs> That's the noise we all make when he does it. 08459 455 555. Coming up in the next 15 minutes of the show, producer Catherine Borg, for indeed that is what she is now. It turns out it's a permanent thing. I thought it was just a couple of weeks. She's here forever. Uh, we'll be coming into the studio with me to have a look at uh, the newspapers. If you want to join in with the what we are loosely calling the paper review, more accurately describing as just two people having a chat, uh, then you can do. You don't need to have the newspapers in front of you. We can provide those. All you have to do is give me a call. 08459 455 555. BBC Three Counties Radio News and Sport. I'll have more at seven. Barry. Good morning. Good morning to you. And it's a, it's a pleasure that you've joined us for, for breakfast. I don't know how long a feature it is, but I, it, it, you, I think you're, you're adding colour and uh, uh, vitality. And let's be honest, an accent to the show. Which Thank is you a, very much. Which is always important. I was thinking, though. Right. Barry Caffrey. Mm. Uh, <sighs> Uh, uh, can, may I suggest a, a, a stage name, just a kind of... A you stage know. name? Yeah. Okay. How does this grab you? Now it's time for the news with Matt Barney. Matt Barney. Is, it just feels a little bit more thrusting. I just feel I want to say what it. What about I mean, Graham Jones? Oh, no. No, no. No? no. Kelly, what do you think? I, I love the name Matt Barney. Maybe if you got near the microphone, so we could oh, hear sorry, you. Sorry, if I do this. I love the name Matt Barney. Matt, can we try... I tell you what, can we try it for the 7 o'clock news? You can try it, yeah. And I don't know whether I'll be able to give you a word-perfect bulletin. You might put me off. Oh, dear, I don't want to put you off your stroke. I quite yeah. like an Amer- more of an American flavour. Go on. Like a Bud Frankenmeyer. A Bud Frankenmeyer. Or Clint. I'm not saying Clint, that. Clint Jones. I'm, I'm not saying Clint on the air. <laughs> uh, we'll, see, we'll see what we come up with, Matt. And uh, you see, I'm sneaking in already, and we'll see what happens. Thank you very much. OK, John, no problem. <laughs> Across Ooh. beds, and bugs. <laughs> this is Ian Lee. BBC Three Counties Radio. 08459 455 555. Take uh, your calls and we'll do the newspapers after this. Good morning, this is Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio. It's that time of the morning when you can give us a call if you want. Although, I'm suspecting, Catherine, because I've been throwing out gold this morning, literally throwing out gold through the airwaves. Not one phone call. I can't believe that people aren't wanting to call in and contribute. Did you ban everybody? Maybe that's possible. Very, I, was, I was drunk for the entire run of shows last week. I've literally no memory of what happened at all. He didn't mean it. 
come back? Well, I, I meant it for some of them. Can we... Th- I, I suspect, as has happened before... Uh, Chetham was on last night, wasn't he? Chetham Partak. Not being funny. He leaves, he leaves the BBC Three Counties in a terrible state. It's, 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 uh, there's food everywhere, there's drink everywhere, and quite often he, he knackers the phones, let's be honest. So, could you just give us a quick call? Dear listener, just to test that the telephones are working, partly to, to help my ego, but also but we need to warn um, Jonathan Vernon-Smith in advance if there's a problem. So just pick up the phone uh, and dial us, 08459 455 555. In the meantime, Catherine and I will look at the newspapers. Catherine, what have you found? In the sun, on the sun, the front page, a very scary exclusive. Oh. Banana critters. Yay. Terrified... They were great, the banana critters, weren't they? One banana, two banana. <laughs> I found them a bit freaky a terrified family fled their home after finding dozens of the world's deadliest spiders no they're not they're not are they are they Pest experts identified the creepy crawlies as lethal Brazilian wandering spiders. Oh, oh they oh. are quite, quite lethal. They are. Well, have you seen the pictures of them crawling across this woman's carpet? There was like a, a sort of cobweb and then loads of babies scuttled out. Yeah, sort of a crusty old egg sack on the spider, on the banana, and then they all started to emerge like one of those oh. horrible... Uh, anyway, so they're all over the shop. What's I'm happening? Horrified. What's gone wrong with this country? It's broken Britain. Why are we getting so many spiders? Look at them. Look at them running, scuttling across the carpet. Aren't mm. they spraying all the fruit... With like pesticides and stuff. I anyway. preferred it when our vegetables and our fruit um, were full of chemicals that meant that nothing could live no, on them, and, and they would poison us. That's what I used to like. Um, there's uh, there's a, there's a very sad story about um, uh, two young girls that were, were mown down by a friend in a car. It's, it's, it's a murder. The, the case it's going on. So we don't want to talk about that. The thing that strikes me about this though is that the girls are fourteen and sixteen. They were walking. You mentioned this. They were walking home at four o'clock. In the morning. What on earth is a 14, and indeed a 16-year-old, doing, walking out, walking home at 4 o'clock in the morning? They should be in by, what, well, the 16-year-old 11, the 14-year-old by 10. They they should be in bed by 10. About six months ago, I was driving into work, so we're talking 4 in the morning. Yeah. And um, I saw two kids on bikes. Oh, really? And although I thought, that's unusual, why are two kids out on bikes... I didn't stop, and I always regret not having stopped to ask them what was going on. Well, you know what they would have said. I know what they would have said. Jog on, love. But they might have been in trouble. Well, they, they, they might have been causing trouble. Well, exactly. Out but, at that time. But, you know, as an a- adult, yeah. we're kind of everyone's parents, aren't we? We kind of are, but I don't like that responsibility. I don't like the responsibility of uh, all of that. Although saying that, I met, I met a woman last the other week. It was completely bonkers. Completely bonkers. And in a social situation in which she was obviously a little bit stressed. And everyone was kind of being a, quite anno- annoyed with her. And I was the only one that took her to one side and said, well, You're right, love. What can, what, where are you? What's, what's going on? And kind of guided her into the right direction. What, was she lost or something? Yeah, she, let's just say she was lost. She was lost in many ways, oh, I, I see. think. But um, no one's called in, Catherine. Um, right. I, the, the phones must be broken. Don't worry about it. Let's well, just keep working it. I'm, I'm, let's I'm keep worried. working the newspaper. Well, may- maybe we're working it too much. Maybe we should work it less. What? Quiet time? No, let's work it a bit more. Scrabble. It was the British Scrabble Championships uh, at the weekend. I met um, uh, Alan Simmons, uh, who is one of the, uh, the Scrabble ch- uh, gentlemen. It's that gentleman there. I met him yesterday. He's the guy that came second. And uh, I asked what I thought was an intelligent question. I thought it was an intelligent question because I'd heard Five Live ask it that morning. I thought, oh, I'm in a room with a Scrabble champion. Haven't got a lot to say to him. He's quite boring. What can I say to make conversation? So I, I said to him, 
What would you say, well, Catherine? What would you say to a Scrabble? I have no idea. Okay. I find Scrabble people quite annoying. You you would have done. I said to him, "So, what's the longest word you've ever done?" Well, it's not really uh, about the long words. It's about the short words. I know it's about the short words, but I've got nothing else to say to you. Just tell me. The guy on the radio did a thirteen-letter word once. Come on. Well, it's uh, more about the uh, the short points. words. Yeah, it's all about the points and the, the short words. Anyway, um, the big match won by the playing of a Ukrainian lute, Bandura, 86 points. Uh, to, They're always men, aren't they? Yeah, 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 and they are men of a certain type. I never got Scrabble. I don't like word games. I don't like word games. Yahtzee. Was that, that was, you could get word Yahtzee. I don't know, I just remember the noise of the dice clacking together. Hey, I remember a game that we used to play and used to pretend we enjoyed. Boggle. Remember Boggle? That was another clacky oh, one, wasn't it? flipping it. Tell you what was good that my friend had that I always wanted and never had, and I might buy myself now I have the means. Pass the pigs. What was that? You get two little plastic Is pigs. Is that to do with the, 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 you have to try and sneak past some police officers, <laughs> what? <laughs> no, two pigs in a bag, you shake them up, you throw them, and you get points according to the position in which they land. Oh, flipping it. Should we get it? No, we shan't. Life was We get to bring a game in at Christmas, don't we? Uh, I'm bringing that. Uh, uh, Puppy shock. Yes. Page 15 of the sun, if oh, you want to read along a sun. <laughs> we need a bouncing ball. <laughs> as little as 10% of the cash raised by popular posh poppies. I've bought one of these. Uh-oh, which one did you buy? The one that's, uh that one. Okay. That's not posh. 25 quid. You spent 25 quid? Yeah, and they get 40% of that. The British Legion? Yeah. Really? Yeah. So you did you assume it was all going to go to them? Kind of did, oh, yeah. Mate. Even though I did notice that it wasn't sold directly by the British Legion. Yep. Um, Kate Middleton and singers Catherine Jenkins and Sarah Harding are among those wearing the sparkly poppy jewellery to support oh, the annual appeal. You know, they're not going to buy the paper ones. My husband bought one um, from the British Legion this year, and they've done a pin. Yep. The cunning thing about it is they've put the date on. Oh, so you can't sneaky. recycle it. Well, it, it, I can, I can uh, beat that. I was on Sky news yesterday they gave me a poppy for free i win oh no hang on that's not what it's about is it travel news for beds cards and bugs bbc three counties radio morning this is ian lee bbc three counties radio 08459 455 is the telephone number facebook.com forward slash bbc 3cr or you can send me a cheeky text 81333 start your text 3cr thank you to Catherine for the papers let's get the latest travel news now it's kelly betts and there's queue in traffic on the M25 this morning. That's anti-clockwise between Junction 23 around sort of the A1081 at St Albans. No, no, is. come on. If you're going to do it, you, gotta, you can't say around sort oh, of. Come on. on. Uh, but anyway, it's around Junction 23 and Junction 22 on the M25. That's anti-clockwise. There's also heavy, heavy traffic on the M25 anti-clockwise between Junction 16 of the M40 and Junction 15 of the M4. I'm now going to scroll down my... Uh, page can you hear me scrolling that's me scrolling i can hear you dying uh, on air that's it that's all that's <laughs> Kelly the, end. the end thank you very much indeed Oh dear, what a nasty little squeak that was. And uh, no, I'm not talking, of course, about uh, our weather presenter. I'm talking about that noise you may have heard. Oh dear, oh dear, oh me. 08459 555 is the telephone number if you want to give us a call. Are the phones working this morning? We'll find out after this. Well, we've been having terrible trouble with the phones, we think, this morning, but we seem to have managed to squeeze one through. Lolu's in Hemel. Good morning, Lolu. Hi, Ian. How are you this morning? 
I'm good. How are you? Yeah, I'm. I'm good. I, I was worried because we weren't getting many phone calls. Uh, I think. I, th- I think Chetan Partak must have unplugged the phone, trying to sabotage this show yet again. <laughs> Naughty Chetan. We've managed to, uh, with a bit of sellotape, get things working. You've got through, okay? Have you? Yeah, absolutely. Excellent. Is, now listen. Now you're on. Yeah. Is, is there anything that you feel you could contribute to the show this morning? Um. Well, I was just testing the phones, to be honest. Oh. Um, <laughs> just, just I gonna... don't think I was planning to contribute anything. Uh, uh, maybe a song, a joke, <laughs> a, 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 some mime. Um, no, I'm not that talented. Can you sing? No. Um, could you do Shakespeare? Do you know Shakespeare? Not very well. Impressions. Um, I tell I tell you what. Do you know? Are you aware of our presenter Justin Dealey? Um, yes, I listen to him all the time. Could you do? Maybe you could. You could try and do a, a, a JD impression for us. <laughs> no, I think I could do a JVS actually. Oh, away oh, you go. Okay, this is Lolo in Hemel. Uh, Hemel doing a, a JVS impression. Away you go. This is Jonathan Vernon Smith. Call me at nine o'clock to discuss. Um, um, well, anything really. <laughs> Lolu, thank you very much indeed. That was that was uh, that was. Uh, I put him on the spot, and let's just say he responded. If you want to call in this morning and do your impressions of uh, various presenters, then please do. I'll have a clip of that, please. Just saying. Sometimes jo- uh, Jonathan takes days off sick. If he does, keep Lolu's number. We'll get him in definitely, definitely. Stephen is the milkman. Good morning, Stephen. Good morning, how are you? Yeah, I'm excited, Stephen, I'm excited. I don't know why, I just feel that... Do you ever get that feeling that that something's going to happen or change or shift today? Nah, I'm not getting those feelings. I'm getting a feeling. Something's going to happen today, man. I don't know what it is, but something is going to happen. Well, let's hope it's good. Let's hope it's good. What can I do for you, Stephen? I was phoning about um, young kids that put stupid hours of the day. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I I see them all the time on my on my milk vans at any time of day, driving along on their bikes in the dark, no lights, and uh, yeah. So Catherine wants to know what them kids were doing. Well, this I is Catherine. A few months ago, she, a few months ago, she saw some sort of twelve, thirteen, fourteen year old kids on their bikes at about five o'clock in the morning, half past four. What what were they yeah, doing, I know, Stephen? I know, I know what they were doing. Yeah, the milk was going to nick his milk. Trying to nick your milk. Yeah, they do it all the time. I think kids these days have got uh, are aiming their heights, their sights higher than getting a bit of gold top. Yeah, no, they don't want it. They just do it for the laugh. That's what it is. I mean, I've had, I've had people nick a couple of four pikes go around the corner, and now they are on the floor where they've just taken along and just jumped on them. That's just fun, isn't it? Do you, well, did you did you do you get involved in a low speed car chase, hurtling down the road no. at eight miles an hour? Oh, those days are gone. We don't drive milk floats anymore. We're transit vans now. Really? Not about ten miles an hour. Where, where, where did that happen? Years ago. Oh, flipping it! I'm well. We've we've got about sixteen rounds in our yard at Bedford, and we've got one the electric vehicle down well, there. Shame on you, Stephen. Stephen, always a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you very much indeed. Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. I'm serious, by the way. If uh, you want to phone up and do an impression of your presenters, we could. Uh, it would help Mike the Trail Man no end. He's a gentleman that has to corral us all into studio. That, that trail you just heard there about the best bits of beds, hearts and bucks. 
all the effort and negotiation with my agent and with other people's agents and with the bosses and then Jonathan cancels and then Nick throws a hissy fit and Roberto turns up late, all of these things. So if you want to do an impression of various presenters here at BBC Three Counties Radio, today's the day to do it. 08-459-455-555. Now, here's a cracking song that doesn't get played very often. This is Jonathan Vernon Smith. Call me at nine o'clock to discuss, um, um, well, anything really. Are you serious? He gets a bad press macker for his 80s stuff. I think some of his 80s stuff was brilliant. Not the film Give My Regards to Broad Street. That's a stinker. What's the, the song he does where he stood on the cliff playing the guitar? It was filmed the day after the hurricane. I remember that much. Not Mull of Kintyre, Catherine, for goodness sake. He's, uh, he's on... No, it's not silly love songs. Don't just keep mentioning Paul McCartney songs. Jet! No, it wasn't Jet. He's, um, he's, on, the, he's on the top of a cliff. It was the day after the hurricanes of uh, 86, and he's playing... Um, and notes are coming out of his guitar, like, y- that you can see. Not just... Um, Oh, flipping it. Frog chorus. No, stop it. You're making things worse. It was, um... Oh, um... Oh, eight four five nine four double five five double five. It's going to annoy me. Oh, that one. Me. No, it's going to annoy me. With the thing. Um, oh... Oh! Gosh, I want to rip my head off. Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. Coming up uh, in the show, we'll be talking uh, about what Ken Clark has said. He is in the headlines from uh, saying uh, he's been talking about the burqa. He's called it a most peculiar costume um, and says it looks like someone's wearing a bag on their head. Well, what do you think about that? Is that a bit harsh? If you are a Muslim, uh, is that a little bit harsh? Do you think a little bit unfair saying it looks like someone's got a bag on their head? Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. And do you agree with him? That yes, it, it, he, first of all, he says it shouldn't be worn in court. Oh, wait, four, five, nine, four, double, five, five, double, five. And do you find it divisive in society? Does it make you feel awkward and uncomfortable when you're walking down the street and you see someone in the veil? You can't see their face. Give me a call on this one, please. 08459 455 555. You can also go to facebook.com forward slash BBC 3CR. Catherine, Catherine, Catherine. Yes. Once upon a long ago, children searched for treasure hand in hand. No, I don't know it. That's, for goodness sakes. We got there. I got there. Burkers, should we ban them? Bit harsh, isn't it? Good morning, this is Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio, Monday the 4th of November. Oh, it was cold this morning. The dash from my front door to my car door was almost unbearable. Made even worse by the fact I brought the wrong keys out. I had to go back inside and do it all over again. No, thank you. No, thank you. Lots coming up on the show this morning, including Kenneth Clark's mouth has got him into trouble again. This time, he's described the Muslim veil as a, quote, most peculiar costume and a kind of a bag. Well, he was talking about them getting in the way of juries and judges reading body language in court. But could it be he's hit on something more general? 
do burkas and veils get in the way of community understanding? I'm also talking about adoption this morning. Hundreds of children waiting for mums and dads. And mums and mums and dads and dads, apparently, in the three counties. But people are holding back from making that commitment. We'll find out why. And the firefighters did a strike on Friday. They're doing a strike again today. We'll bring you the latest on what they're up to. Be good to get your opinion on lots of these stories if we can. Facebook.com forward slash BBC3CR. You can also follow us on Twitter at BBC3CR or at Ian Lee. But the best way, I think, to deal with a lot of these issues is to give us a call. 08 459 455 555. Across beds, hearts and bucks. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. Do give us a call on uh, the veils and the burkas. Do you, do you find them divisive? I'm trying to think when I walk down the street, it doesn't bother me. It doesn't bother me in the street if people want to wear that. I don't quite understand why they'd want to wear that. I understand the, 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 the kind of the uh, uh, the arguments behind it, but I, it, it, it seems a little extreme to me, but it doesn't bother me. Does it bother you? 08459 455555. I mean, maybe it makes people less approachable. I, I don't know. Uh, anyway, we're talking about this because, well, there are a couple of stories. First one is Ken Clark is in the headlines. Um, this time he's been talking about the Muslim veil. The former justice secretary was asked whether witnesses should be allowed to cover their faces in court. Here's what he had to say about that. I do think it's a most peculiar costume for people to adopt in the 21st century, but that's not for me to decide when they're not actually engaged in some serious issue such as giving evidence. That's the bit that uh, I think it's almost impossible to have a proper trial if one of the persons in a kind of bag. Uh, Ken Clark uh, went on to say he wouldn't want to stop people wearing whatever they want to in public, just so long as it's decent. But has Mr Clark hit on something more general? Does the veil get in the way of us getting on together as a society? He says the veil stops juries being able to read witnesses' body language. Does it do the same socially? Well, Justin Dealey uh, has uh, been out to investigate. Morning, Justin. Hello, Ian. Now, you've been uh, walking the streets this morning. It's flipping cold, isn't it? Oh, absolutely freezing. I think this morning is the first day where I am well and truly wrapped up. It is bitter out this morning. Bitter. Have you got your long johns on? Uh, not quite. I've got my jeans on, but I have got my scarf on. OK, excellent stuff indeed. Now, you've been out talking uh, about the veil. What have you been asking, Justin? Yeah, I mean, I think I know what Ken Clark's trying to get out here with the court issue. I just think uh, the way that he's worded, I think, has probably come across very wrong and, and highly offensive. I have been getting views in Luton this morning, some very interesting views as well. Here's what people had to say. Me, personally, I don't think you should wear it in court or banks or anything like that, if I'm honest, or like airports or things like that. I don't think you should wear it. I'm thinking he's got it right, yeah, because of, um, in court, there's only selected uh, jury members, or not many people in the public, so people in um, wearing the veil should be unmasked for a little while until trial ends. He's also saying that the veil is is outdated. He calls it a peculiar costume, which of course some people would say is, is highly offensive. Do you think the veil is outdated now? No, it's not outdated. It's it's just hiding your modesty. That's how it is. You don't want other people, you know, looking inside your house. Why do you put curtains in your house? You don't want other people looking in your house. So it's just a bit of privacy. That's all. And finally, you're saying that women wear these out of choice, so they're not being forced to they're wear them. Forced, no, no, they're not. No way it's forced. They're out of, um, of their own choice, because of the religion. That's why they wear it. I mean, nobody puts a gun to their head. You've got to wear it if you go out. 
Nobody says that. And we seem to be always talking about this subject. Do you think that as a nation we've just got completely carried away? It's, it's all been blown out of proportion. Anything to do with the veil always gets strong opinions, but people don't really know what they're talking about. That's right. That is, if other religions are like other religions or Sikhs are wearing turbans, uh, Jews are wearing those, I don't know what they call the hats, mm. but nobody says anything about them. Why is it always picked on Muslims? Does it frustrate you that we're even having this conversation yeah, right now? It is. It's, it's pointless having it. Nothing wrong with burqa. Why is I mean I can't tell. Why is just hiding your face or your all your body? How is that wrong in society? In saying that though, you do believe in court that it should be removed for, for a short for period, sure, just for, for giving evidence. Yeah, for, so for a selected audience, for a selected audience, that's all. Um, not for a long time or anything like that. In court, everyone has a right. There's a right to diversity. So if you ban something, we should ban everything. We we have to be equal. In a way, that's the whole beauty of the UK. So, burkas in the year 2013, after what you just said there, I presume you don't think they're outdated then? It's, um, it's the religion, and we have to be respectful to the religion as the way as how they're respectful to our religion. How does it make you feel, sir, when you see people walking down the street in Luton wearing a veil? Worrying times. Worrying times. Yeah. What about people wearing the veil in court? What's your thoughts on that? Shouldn't happen. Can you tell us why? If you're going to stand up in court and give events, be seen. Don't be afraid of being seen. There's a, some interesting viewpoints there, Justin. I didn't mm. understand the gentleman who said if you're going to ban something, you have to ban everything. I didn't know yeah. what that meant. And also, we're, we're going to try and get an expert on the show, but if, if someone who's listening to this can help, 08-459-455-555. As far as I'm aware, the wearing of the burqa and the veil, it isn't a religious thing. I've got to be honest, I don't know enough about no. it to talk about it in detail, which I think is why we do need to get an expert. But but the comment earlier about, well, you know, comparing it to your home and protecting your modesty, would you want somebody looking around your home? I can't see the comparison there between your living room to, to how you would look walking down the street. I don't get that one personally. No, I don't understand that. There, there are lots of things I don't understand uh, about this. As far as I'm aware, it's not a religious thing, it's a cultural thing. And again, if I've got that wrong, all right, could someone give us a call? Uh, and also, the gentleman saying, well, look, there's no one putting guns to women's head to make them wear it. Mm. I think in some situations, they may not be having guns pointed at their head, but that some women are, are um, pressurised. That's the word. Thank you, Catherine. Some women are pressurised, if not bullied, into wearing these things, potentially by their husbands or by religious uh, uh, people or by members of their community. Well, those are just some of the views. We have got some views coming up a bit later as well, after 8 o'clock this morning. You will hear from a, a young Asian girl in Luton who, who chooses not to wear the veil, but mm. if she knows that she's going to a, a certain function where there's going to be friends and families, Asian families, she will choose to wear that because that's the respectful thing to do. But personally, it's not her choice to go to work or to walk down the street wearing the veil. Justin, great stuff. Uh, something to think about. Thank you very much indeed. Well, you've heard uh, what those people had to say to our reporter, Justin Dealey. 08459 455 555. A real mixed uh, bag of responses there. I, uh, it confuses me. A few things I need to clear up, first of all. I, I don't think it is a religious requirement to wear it. Is it? There'll be people listening to this who know more about it than I do. So 08459 455 555. This is one of those 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 areas, those topics, where um, I'm perhaps a little bit more ignorant than maybe I should be. Um, so I need your help on this. 08459 455 555. And we do hear stories 
I've heard these on the radio, I'm trying to think. Yeah. We do hear stories of women who wear the veil and the burqa because they are pressured into doing it. I'm not saying that all of them are. I'm sure that there are a huge percentage who do it because they want to. But... Yeah. I need. I really need your help on this one. You can tell I'm struggling a little bit. If you are, are, are a Muslim, if you have worn the, the burqa and the veil, could you give me a call and tell me why? Why did you wear it? Why did you want to wear it? It's not set out, as far as I'm aware, in the Quran that you should be wearing it. Oh eight four five nine four double five five to five. And how do you feel when you walk down the street and you see someone with the the, the, the veil? You can only see the eyes. Do you worry about it? Does it make you concerned? It doesn't bother me, really, because I've kind of grown up being used to it. So it's always been around as far as I'm aware. I grew up in Slough. I used to go to London a lot. I used to see it a lot. 08459 455 555. Kathy's in Luton. Good morning, Kathy. Good morning. Kathy, what would you like to say on this? I would like to say, what about the buses, you know, those with the bus passes? How do you know who's using the bus pass? Because it's been understood that other people use the bus pass as well, because you cannot see who's behind it. What about the bus drivers? Don't they don't have a right to see who is using the bus pass? I, I, would, Im- I would imagine the, um, the uh, p- potential amount of money that bus companies are losing because yeah. of, um, you know, the, the people misusing their bus pass and putting on a burqa so they get a free bus. I'd imagine that that cost is minimal. I understand the point you're making, but I, I, I imagine it's, it, it, it doesn't worry the bus companies too much. Does it bother you, Cathy, when you, when you walk down the street and you, you, all you can see are a pair of eyes? Sometimes it, it kind of feels rude because you, you, you don't get a response on anybody that, that's there and they, they just look at you straight straight through and you don't know, you know, it's, you're accustomed to seeing somebody in their face and or they say hello, but you don't see anything. But really, if you're walking down the street, that that's kind of what happens anyway. People don't look at each other, they don't talk to each other, they, they don't say hello to each other. So if you can't see their nose and their mouth and their ears, does it really make that much difference? It does. It's not nice. Well, you know. Cathy, I appreciate it's your call this morning. Cathy, they're saying it's not nice. What do you think? Oh, wait, four five nine four double five five double five. It genuinely doesn't bother me in, in, in walking down the street in the slightest. In the slightest. It doesn't worry me at all. Courtrooms, airports, yeah. Then we start to get into slightly grey territory. Really keen to get your thoughts on this, and if you've got inside information, as it were, then that will be uh, gratefully appreciated. 08459 555. You can have your say on Facebook, as always. Facebook.com forward slash BBC 3CR. Or you can send me a text, 81333. Start your text, 3CR. And if uh, someone could call in and confirm... As far as I'm aware, it's not a religious requirement. It's not dictated in the uh, the Quran that you have to wear a burqa or a veil. So where does it come from? I do apologise. I was expecting us to go into a, a, a trail then, and we didn't for some reason. So that's uh, completely messed that up. As it? Never, never mind. These things happen. These things happen. It tend to happen quite a lot here at BBC Three Counties Radio. I'm not casting aspersions or nothing, but lots of you having your say on Facebook uh, on the uh, subject of the burqa. Uh, Leanne says, "What I find gets in the way of social interaction is personal MP3 players and smartphones." She's not wrong, is she? The number of people. I hate this. We've talked about this before, and you're walking down the street, and the number of people that will bump into you because they're on their mobile phones texting or whatever. 
And uh, Joe says, not banning the burqa in public is tantamount to colluding with misogyny, which is highly prevalent in Islam. No one can argue this. Islam condones the stoning of women, for goodness sakes. No, it is not a requirement of Islam. It's a man-made demand created by man for the purpose of controlling women. If women say they choose it, they are complying with tradition and expectations of their community and family. If you want to wear them, wear them at home. Well, what do you think? Strong views there from Joe. 08459 455555. Five. Across beds, hearts and bucks. This is Ian Lee. BBC Three Counties Radio. Now, it's National Adoption Week, but nearly 200 children across the three counties are waiting to be adopted, with many waiting more than a year. Well, how easy is it to adopt a child? Well, Sid and Diana Bahador wanted to adopt a child last year in Luton, but were told they might have to wait for up to 10 years, and they had to be realistic as they were at the bottom of the pile. Well, Sid and Diane join me in the studio now. So, uh, good morning to both of you. Good morning, Ian. You, you Have you tried to adopt before you came to Luton? Yes. What happened? Tell us how that, that worked. Uh, we went to... Well, first we f- saw a um, newspaper article which said they're looking for mysterious couples... And it doesn't matter what's your religion, you can be gay, lesbian, single parents, uh, they need adoptive parents. So we approached the council, which was Herengue, Mm -hmm. and they told us over the phone that they're looking for Afro-Caribbean white couples. Oh, specifically? Yes. Okay. So that was the mix I was looking for. So with that time, we used to live in Barnet. So we went on the Barnet Open Day, and they advised us for similar reasons to approach councils where they bigger Asian communities. Mm-hmm. So we went to Brent and Ealing, and they again okay. said that they look... Now, I, normally I wouldn't mention this on the air, but I think it's important that we do we mention this for this story specifically. Uh, Diana, you're white. What's, yeah. what's your background? I'm white Hungarian Christian. White Hungarian Christian. And, and Sid, uh, you're Asian. What's, what's your background? Yeah. Indian Mauritian. Okay, so it's, it's, it's a heady mix. Yeah. Well done. You came to Luton... Yeah. You approached the adoption services in Luton. What did they say? Uh, they set up uh, an initial meeting with us. And um, they invited us for an hour interview. Mm. And on that interview, basically, on the end, they summarized the issue. And they mentioned that every pile, we would be on the bottom of it. The, the issue is that... Just come a little bit closer to the Michael. Thank you, sir. that... Um, every child has to be taught their own values and cultures. Yeah. So if we were white couples, we would be only entitled to a white child because we have to give the child, uh, to, to give them information about their background, yeah. their religion background. If we were Hindu, it would be the same thing. However, now you have two different cultures that normally you know, any child would be happy mm. to have various different cultures taught throughout their life. We can't get on the ladder. I'm guessing there aren't many Mauritian-Hungarian children waiting to be adopted in the Luton area. <laughs> no. Uh, so, uh, uh, were you surprised, Sid, when they said that to you? Well, yes, because, you know, at the end of the day, I'm sure they want the, the child, uh, the children, to, to get into a family and being looked, up, looked after uh, for as many years as possible. So we are here, willing and able and ready to adopt a child... But then, because of the system, we can't, because we can't give them their cultural, uh, you know, information, which is wrong. Diana, is there anything else in, in your and Sid's background or relationship that you think could have got against you? 
that, that, that maybe it's not a, a, a racial background thing, that perhaps there's something else in your life that is, is, is getting in the way of you adopting? To be fair, I don't think so. We have quite supportive families and um, we have the means, like we're both working. Uh, I used to work with children as a professional nanny, so I have experience as well with babies up to age 12, so it wouldn't be a problem. Mm. Um, we have a house. Yeah, we have a house, we have a car. When you hear there are 200, ki- 200 kids nearly across the three counties waiting to be adopted, some have been waiting for more than a year. How does that make you feel, Sid? Very disappointing because we could tomorrow, had we had the financial means, pay ballparks five to six thousand pounds in legal fees, and adopt from abroad. from overseas, mm. from abroad. And no one would no care. No one would question anything. The background, and we can get African, Indian, any child through inter-country adoption. Well, well we're joined uh, now by Hilary Griffiths, who is the Head of Specialist Family Support at Lucenborough Council. Now, Hilary, I know you don't want to talk specifically about this case, but it, 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 it's frustrating, isn't it, when parents who seem set and ready to, to, to adopt and they're not allowed to. What, what could be preventing people from, from adopting? Well, there's a, um, we, we, first of all, I want to say that we very much welcome applicants from across all, the whole of the community uh, to, to approach us as adopters in Lucerne. And I'm very sorry that this couple had what they saw as a, a bad experience and that they were, um, they were put off. Um, we have a number of, of mixed-race couples with a variety of, of different ethnic origins who, who have uh, been approved as adopters with us and who um, have gone on to adopt children. Uh, as, uh, mix, uh, when you say mixed-race, as diverse as Mauritian-Hungarian? Uh, I, I can't say that we have that specific um, combination, yeah. but yes, we do have uh, families from a number of, of different backgrounds and different mixes. I think... Um, what we, we do uh, explain to couples when they approach us is that if there is a choice of adopters for, uh, for children, um, then it is likely that social workers will choose um, a couple that do, does match the child's um, ethnic origin and, and religion. And, and therefore, uh, for some children, um, a, a family that doesn't match their ethnic origin is, going, is not going to be at the, at the front of the, of, of the queue, as it were. How many children in Luton are waiting to be adopted? There are 26 children currently How many waiting have been to be adopted. waiting for over a year? I'm afraid I haven't got that specific number, but a number of them have been waiting. So there aren't enough adopters, are there? No, there aren't enough adopters. Um, I think there are a number of reasons why people are not um, suitable to adopt and and when people come to talk to us first of all we often say to them there's some things I think perhaps you need to think about some personal circumstances you need to to resolve and you might want to come back to us um, when you've had a bit of a a chance to to think about that. Um, But if they're told that they're at the bottom of the list strictly simply because of their background? I don't think anybody would have been told that they were bottom of the list in the way that this couple have have described. Um, I think what 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 may have happened is that, as I said, it was explained that um, that that for some children they won't, there will be other couples who would be seen as as preferable because uh, it's a it's a, an, a, a match of people's of, a, of if the there child's are kids, If there are kids waiting over a year, then there aren't people available, are there? Surely the 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 the, the, the prime 
um, requisite should be that the kids are going to a, a family where they'll be loved and there is some sort of financial stability. That's all that's required, isn't it? Of course that's true and we would never want a child to be waiting for a long period of time um, because, of we, because we weren't able to find a family with a specific match and that's not what we, that's not what we do and um, increasingly uh, across the country that's being recognised and there's a change in government policy and thinking about this so that uh, religious and cultural match is, um, is less important than, than it was uh, going back even just a year or two. Um, but yet you still have children that are waiting over a year. We do, and we're very uh, keen to recruit as many adopters as we, as we can, and we turn very few people away. How does that make you feel, <laughs> Sid and Diane? They turn very few people away. They're Diana, sorry. How, um, uh, how do you feel, Diana? You talk. Sid? I don't think it's right. Um, you know, they shouldn't be turning anybody away. You should take the best of what you have, given that there's, you know, so few um, prospective couples coming mm. through the door and, and wanting to adopt. Okay. And also, I just wanted to add that we're not being told we're not suitable. Yeah. We've just been told that we're going to wait a very long time. Mm. So they advise us to come back and do the course and everything but what's the point if on the end you don't see that you're going to get a kid mm. but doing the course might might move things on a little bit if you did that that showing willing and and the fact that you were prepared to to commit to doing something like that Sid do you not think it would but to become a little honest uh we got a bit of a grilling on our interview yeah where Dan left in tears and <laughs> I nearly walked out well, when you say grilling, I would, I would, with the greatest respect, I would expect and hope for adoptive parents to be grilled slightly. Why was it so upsetting? Because that's the initial meeting. Right. So they're basically supposed to just see how we are, what we would like to do. And they're going to come and visit us many times so they can talk about other issues. And the problem was, which we didn't actually want it to mention on live radio, uh, it was two person there. One of them was absolutely supportive. And they had this bad cop, good cop. Combination okay, right. and soon the lady walked in. She was negative all the time, and whatever we said, on the end she summarized it back. What we never said. Okay. So after the third point, she went into. We actually stand up and we said, "Listen, we never said this. That's what we said. Mm. And if you don't would like, you don't want to give the children an opportunity." we can leave it's obviously very emotional isn't it i completely understand thank you for that uh hillary if, if people want to find out more about adoption and want to look into it uh, in luton how do they go about doing it well there's a, a number of op options they can look on the luton bar council website where there's a, a section about adoption but also because this week is national adoption week we have an information evening this wednesday um at stopsy Baptist church in luton on st thomas's road in luton from six o'clock till eight o'clock and anybody who's interested in finding out more about adoption is very welcome to come to that evening um i think people who, who people who, who adopt do find that uh, sometimes the experience can be intrusive mm. there is a, a, a legal responsibility on us to ensure that uh, couples are have taken are the right um uh, people to adopt and have taken on board everything that they need to know about adopting children from care but i'm very sorry if that first experience was a, a difficult one um i think you're hearing from one of our adopters um later on this yeah. morning um who perhaps will talk uh, be able to talk you through uh, the whole of the experience that he had with us. 
Hillary, thank you very much. Hillary Griffiths, Head of Specialist Family Support, Luton Borough Council. Uh, Sid and Diana Bahadur, what, what's, what's the next step? What, what, uh, you still want kids, obviously. What, what's the plan? Uh, possibly looking into fostering. Okay. Okay, well, listen, I wish you the very, very best of luck. Thank you very much for coming Thank on you. and uh, sharing your experience with me this morning. It's BBC Three Counties Radio, 08459 555. Coming up to 7.30. BBC Three Counties Radio, news and sport. I'll have a full bulletin at 8. Chuck Thrust. Chuck Thrust. You like that, Chuck Thrust? No, it sounds a bit stupid, Ian. Oh, dear. Yeah. I'll, I'll come with something better for 8 o'clock, I promise. Yeah, you better. Oh, dear. Across beds, hearts and bucks. This is Ian Lee. BBC Three Counties Radio. I quite like Chuck Thrust. I'm genuinely surprised by uh, Barry's reaction there. I thought he was going to go, bang, you've got it, sweet. Oh dear, I seem to have uh, upset him. We'll come up with something better. Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. We're talking adoption, uh, we're talking veils and burkas, we're talking all kinds of things. Um, let's have a look at these. Shirley has said on the subject of the, the veil and the burka, it pops up every now and then, this story, doesn't it? Now, the reason we're talking about it is because Ken Clark distra- described it as, uh, as someone wearing something like a bag. Uh, Shirley says they shouldn't be allowed to wear the veil while while driving. I've seen it, and it's dangerous as their view is restricted. I'm going to make a, 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 a sort of veil out of bits of A4 newspaper, A4 paper here, to see if that would restrict my view. Um, no, I don't think it does. I don't think it does. Not sure. We need to send Dealey out in one and, and get him to drive somewhere. I'm being serious there. Pat says, Ian, the wearing of the burqa and veil is offensive to the English way of life. It's rude. What is the English way of life? I don't know. Oh, wait, four, five, nine, four, double, five, five, double, five. It's rude and smacks in the face of a free-thinking society. The clothing goes with times gone by being medieval. We in this country have evolved. To me, it is a sign of oppression and gives fundamentalists the freedom to roam our streets as a disguise. Pat, thank you very much indeed. Um, Zara's in High Wycombe. Good morning, Zara morning zara now uh, can i ask are you a muslim i am and do you wear the burqa or the scarf or nothing no i wear the scarf okay so so, what can you tell me about the burqa but what it's not a religious requirement is it um i'll tell you quite simply islam tells women to cover themselves loosely so that their body shape isn't visible um but it doesn't specifically say wear the burqa or wear a jacket you know, so it's up to different cultures, different countries, different people to decide how to do that. It tells you your arms should be covered up to your wrists and your, you know, legs up to your ankles. And so it gives you guidelines, but, but to how you cover yourself, that's up to you. So you could potentially, with that description, wear a pair of jeans and a, a long sleeve blouse. Absolutely. As long as you are not showing off too much of your shape, you're yep. not attracting too much attention in that respect, you know, from men. That's absolutely fine. There's nothing wrong with doing that. When you wear the scarf, how much of you is covered? When I wear the scarf, um, just my hair and neck. Uh, Your face is is visible. And actually, a lot of people don't realise that Islam actually says covering your face is antisocial. It doesn't say don't do it. It says if you're living in a country where it's causing you to stick out like a sore thumb, don't do it. And does, it, does anybody say anything to you, Zara, when you're wearing the scarf? Nothing. Nothing at all. No, absolutely no problem. Zara, I appreciate your call this morning. Thank you very much indeed. Here's a text. 
Um, Sadia Khan. I'm texting on the topic of the veil. I'm Muslim. And I don't wear the niqab, but adore it and intend to wear it in the future. I think the real issue with people that dislike it is, it's not the veil itself, because you say, as you said, it's been around for ages, but rather it's the rate that Islam is growing at. Also, I find it oppressing that women are being fined to cover, yet paid to be naked. If you are entitled to walk around in your bikinis, we are entitled to walk around covered. It's a free country after all. Well, Sadia, interesting point, but, um, but, but I would say based on a false premise... Uh, in that um, women don't walk around uh, uh, the streets of, of Luton or the streets of Milton Keynes in bikinis. Women don't sit in um, court in bikinis. They would be ordered to cover up. So there are levels of decency. Uh, so, sorry, it's a slightly flawed argument. I can understand why you're saying that, but it isn't completely a free country. Everyone says that Britain's a free country. It's not at all. Oh, boy, it's not. There are so many rules. So you can't walk around, uh, let's say, at Bedford, for example, in a bikini. So should you be able to walk around in a veil? By your argument, Sadia, no. No. Yes, I'm happy to see top-shelf magazines, you know, barely burka and things like that. But, but, I, I don't think that it, your argument quite stands up there. 08459 double. I was in a, a news agency this morning. Oh my, I, uh, listen, I'm not a prude. But uh, I walked in, and as you walk in at the angle, directly at eye level, was a full-on adult magazine. It was an adult magazine, not in a, in a... No, it was not in a modesty bag or anything like that. And it was a picture of a naked woman covering downstairs and a very, very lewd and lurid phrase on the, on the headline. I felt embarrassed, and that was just me, a 40-year-old man walking in there. Anyway, going off on a, a slight tangent. Uh, Dennis uh, is naked. Good morning, Dennis. <laughs> You're not supposed to... T- I've not got my burqa on yet. OK, good good for you. Dennis, what can I do for you this morning? The, the burqa to start with. When do the young ladies start wearing it? I think it's do about they, 13, 14. I think it's when they start to hit puberty. So how does their prospective husband know what they look like? Well, because um, there will be meetings and they'll be, they will be one of the few people allowed to see behind the, uh, the mask, so That's to speak. Uh, yeah, that's fair enough. It just seems to me, sorry, you don't, they've just said they've not got to show the shape of a woman. Yeah. Well, God, you might be wearing a, you might be marrying a sack of spanners. Well, the thing is, the husband, the, the, those gifts, I believe, if I've got this right, those gifts underneath that outfit are purely for the husband and God. So he's going to see everything. Yes. Uh, and, and know what's going on there. But, I mean, does it really bother you, Dennis? You're walking down the street, you see, you see some women, a group of women walking past, you can only see their eyes. That just doesn't bother me. Does I, it bother I, you? I walked past a lady where you couldn't even see her eyes. She had a, me- a mesh across the eyes. Oh, I, yeah, I've seen the mesh. The mesh is good. That, that means it's right in front of their eyes, so they must be cross-eyed to three, see through it. Well, possibly. No, I, it, it doesn't bother me, but no. I wouldn't deal with them, put it that way. What do you mean you wouldn't deal with them, Dennis? Well, because if somebody come to me with a burqa, I wouldn't have anything to do with them because I can't see their face to see the reaction of when you're saying something. So hang on, someone comes up to you in a burqa. Yes. And they start talking to you. Well, so, I, excuse I, me, I, sir, can you tell me how to get to the post office? I say no. I've no idea. Just, uh, You'd well, lie to them? Yeah, I wouldn't. No, I wouldn't even bother. You wouldn't talk to you. So, so it's, I, I come up to you. I'm a short woman oh, wearing that, a burqa. Yes. All right, so it's a short woman in a burqa. Uh, excuse me, sir, I'm a bit lost. Um, could you uh, tell me the way to the Dunstable Post Office? What, you just walk on and ignore No, I'd perhaps say to her, you're being immodest. Talking to a gentleman who doesn't know you in the first place. Oh, so hang on, you'd have a a go at a woman? No, I wouldn't have a go at her, I'd just tell her that. 
Well, that's a, that's that's a little bit confrontational. No, she just wants to go and get. Buy, to protect her modesty. She just wants she, to buy some first-class stamps. That's all right. Go in the shop where they sell them. Is that the, not the, a little no, bit? The, just just a minute. Just kind of, just let me get a word in edgeways, will you? You're, you're, you're taking the pee again as usual. No, I'm not. I'm following your point through. Right, you're going point to be... of, My point of view is, if they don't want us to see their face, don't bother to talk to them because they they're trying to protect their modesty, and to talk to a strange man would be immodest. Dennis, listen. I'm going to put that out there. Thank you very much. Dennis is saying. If they uh, uh, want to protect their modesty and want to cover their faces, don't bother talking to them. Now, I'm a little bit shocked by that. Anybody else? Is there anybody? Okay, let's do it this way. I would imagine most of you are shocked by that. Is there anybody out there listening to this who agrees with Dennis? Let's try it that way, shall we? 08459 455555. Dennis has, has uh, pretty much written women off uh, from society who wear the burqa. He's, 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 he's excluded them, excommunicated them from society. And if they, one of them spoke to him in the street, he'd not, he wouldn't just ignore them, he would, he would lecture them slightly on what they're doing. Seems a bit harsh to me. Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. Carol has uh, texted in. I think that when in this country, one should respect our rules and laws of the land the same when we visit other countries. I re- well, th- there are no laws saying you can't wear the burqa, though. So again, it's the, the, a lot of these arguments are slightly flawed. I respect people's beliefs, but religions cause too much conflict in the world. This is supposedly for modesty, but I admit I rudely stare in wonderment as who might be hiding behind this. I find it intimidating. I worry there might be another terrorist hiding behind it, as it's happened before. It sometimes scares me. But, Carol, is that... And please don't think I'm being critical of that text at all. I'm just exploring it. You being intimidated and you feeling scared, that's your problem, isn't it? Isn't it? There is no rule and law in this country that says you can't wear a burqa. You can't cover your face. So if you're feeling scared uh, and intimidated, that's, that's your problem. You know, there might be, you, you say you're worried about terrorism, stuff like that. Well, there might be a lunatic white Christian running around with a shotgun or with a pistol in their bag. These things, you know, you might be a crazed taxi driver driving around town with a shotgun. These things have all happened. Should we be scared of taxis? Uh, and Jenny, finally, on the text says, I respect the modesty of uh, women who choose to wear the veil. I don't walk around topless because I don't want people gawping at me. Same idea, just stricter. But I appreciate the issue with giving evidence. Why not a compromise? Allow the unveiled witness to give evidence from behind a screen which exposes her face to judge and jury and a legal representative alone. 08459 455555. This is Ian Lee. Good morning. BBC Three Counties Radio. A quarter to eight. This is Jonathan Vernon Smith. Call me at nine o'clock to discuss, um, um, well, anything really. 525,600 minutes. Lots of strong views about the, the book. It's a kind of, it's a staple, isn't it? A phone in radio. And when we, we, we thought about doing it this morning, we all went, really? Do we want to? Well, I, I think we have to this morning, uh, because Ken Clark has said burkas, it looks like someone's wearing a bag, uh, and um, that they shouldn't be worn in court. That's one thing. We can certainly talk about that. But let's let's expand it into society, into your town. Do you feel uncomfortable when you see someone wearing a burqa? 
Carol on the text, uh, uh, on the Facebook, has, has says she does. Uh, she finds it intimidating, and it sometimes scares her. She's worried a terrorist might be hiding behind it. Well, Carol, as I said, you know, there are stories of taxi drivers driving around shooting people. Should we be afraid of taxis? She then goes on to say that taxi drivers don't wear masks, but you, you missed the point ever so slightly with the greatest of respect. Steve's in Bletchley. Go on, Steve. Hello, morning. Good morning. What do you want to say about this? Well, we're in the book. They're isolating themselves from society. I mean, the government tell them and people say and council say, you know, immigrants are supposed to integrate and everything else. But if they're wearing the burqa, they're actually isolating themselves from the rest of society. I mean, whether they, whether they understand that, whether they realise they're doing it when they're wearing it, or whether they've just promote putting it on, because I don't know if they're putting it on to say, look, I'm a Muslim, that's my religion, I live in England. Do you know what I mean? If they're, I, isolate, I if they're isolating themselves from society... So what? Yeah, but they don't want to integrate. Well, people, we don't like it. We like people to integrate. They're well, going to integrate. But there, are, I know there will be lots of old people listening to this show who don't integrate with society. There'll well, be no, lots of people who can't get out. Well, no, but there, there, <laughs> there, there, there will be lots of people. I don't like particularly integrating with society. It's not uh, if someone chooses not to integrate with society. Why? Yeah. Why should you be bothered? Yeah, yeah, but hold on, let's get something right. Right, if, a, if an English woman right goes to I don't know Saudi Arabia, she's made to wear. A scarf or whatever else. That's she, the law. Mate, That's right? the law yeah, over, that there, yeah. over there. So over here, why don't they respect our way of life? But it's not, no, no, you no. Know, we like to speak to people. It's just the way we are. That, apples. This is our culture. This is the way Steve. we like to deal with people. We don't want people covered up. Steve, apples, apples and oranges. Do you, do you want me to point out the flaw in your argument? Well, back I wear, but well, back I wear a balaclava everywhere I go. If I go wear a balaclava, yeah. drive driving along the road, you think I'll be pulled up every time? Thinking I'm a bank robber you, by the police. We have to go back to the point you made that that, that, that is based on a flawed premise. Uh, Yes, if you, those countries you spoke about where women have to cover up, that's because it's the law over there. It's not the law yeah. for, people, for women not to cover up over here. Yeah, well, we, it, should be, it should be banned over it. The burqa should be banned. Wear a scarf because years ago, uh, I mean, back when my nan was you know, alive and that, they used to wear scarves, used to cover up. That was, it was modesty. I mean, I can understand all that. Why I mean. are you afraid of people who wear the burqa, Steve? Because we just are. That's the sight. That's we feel. We no, 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 no. Not we. Not we. Why are you afraid of people who wear Look. the burqa? I don't, like, I don't want them there. I don't like them. I don't like them wearing it. Why are you afraid? Listen I to the question. Like it. Listen to the question. Very specific question. And I can understand why you'd be uh, uncomfortable answering this, but just, I want you to answer this question. Why are you afraid of people who wear the burqa? I don't know, but we just are. That's, that's the way you feel. If people no. feel that way, I don't choose to feel that way. Okay. I'm sure thousands of people don't. But we actually, that's the way we feel. No, it's no, not, no. Well, I don't wake up in the morning and go, yeah, I don't like everybody that's wearing orange today. You know what I mean? It's the fact let's, of the matter. Let's, let's work at it. And also, I've, I've got to pick you they up again. They don't want to integrate. They You're, don't want to no, integrate. No, no, Steve, Steve, let's focus, let's focus on one thing. And again, you have to just curb yourself if it's like you're saying we. I, 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 I'm not afraid oh, of the burqa. So, exactly. Let's, why do you think you might be afraid of the burqa? Because we don't probably like indifference, do we? We like we like the same thing every day. We like to have the same routines, and they, it throws like the routine out. You like to deal with people. You like to see the faces, the people smiling, the way they react, and that's what we've got used to. Before, before why people, can't we get used to something a little bit different? Well, it's just that's, but that's just that's the way we're tribal, aren't we? We don't like indifference. You, that's just the you way don't. We are. It's not we. It's not whether we're prejudiced. We just like our way of life. We feel more comfortable seeing people's faces. Saying hello in the morning, going to the shop, morning, how are you? When if someone puts a burger in front of you, it's just like putting a brick wall there and it gets people's goats. That is a fact of the matter. We don't choose to think like that. That's the way we've been brought up to think. Steve, say that. Carol's in Milton Keynes. Morning, Carol. Good morning, Lee. What, d- d- what do you think about what Steve's had to say? Um, I'd take a deep breath and calm down. 
Go on, t- give I us your really point. I really feel... If you gave people a chance, I take my dog for a walk or whatever, um, I, I'll say good morning to anyone. And the majority of the time, they will say good morning back, whether they've got the full scarf on or even with a burka. I will say good morning. Give them a chance. We have a terrible lot of yobs going around with hoodies that frighten old ladies. But there's quite a lot of youngsters go under the underpass down the road from me. They'll sit around talking, smoking, youngsters. You know, I'll go past with a dog and I'll say hello, you know. And they've always been all right with me. People are people. There were some wonderful people, not with the burqa, but with the full scarf, when my husband was in and out of hospital earlier this year. And they were so kind and caring. Carol, Steve says he's scared of people in the burqa. Um, I think it's... I think because we're... A lot of people are probably scared of the unknown. We hear things like after... Um, the bombing in London, you know, how some of the terrorists got away wearing burqas. Right. Uh, some, some people are afraid of change. But give people a chance. That people are people. Carol, let's put those points, running out of time, let's put those points to, to see very quickly. Steve, you're afraid of change, give people a chance. No, that's just the way I, I don't, I don't, I'd love to say what, I want to, what I'm thinking about, but I can't really say you, you're not prepared to. You're not prepared to change no, no, and evolve and I mean, become a more loving great, human being? This is Great Britain, this is a Christian society. Well, it's the not, Christian though, is society it? society has been eroded by left-wing do-gooders. Well, to be honest, I, I, I want a disciplined, well-organised Britain how it used to be when I was a child. Steve, we have to end it there because we're out of time. Thank you very much indeed. Strong views from Steve and Carol, 08459 455555. <laughs> Across beds, hearts and bucks. This is Ian Lee. BBC Three Counties Radio. Members of the Fire Brigades Union staged a four and a half hour walkout on Friday night. They're set to do the same later on today. Keith Hanscom is from the FBU in Bedfordshire and Hertfordshire and joins me now. Keith, how do you think it went on Friday? Well, Friday was a solid strike, but it's still not resolved the dispute. And in fact, we're on strike at the moment. We've got a two-hour strike this morning, so people should be taking care this morning until eight o'clock when it finishes. Uh, you, a lot of debate about the timing of these strikes. Are you comfortable with, with the timing? As comfortable as we can be. There's no good time and no uh, good length of strike to have in, in an emergency life-saving service like ours. So, But we have avoided the, the main events for Bonfire Night and Diwali. Uh, we've done that deliberately, so we hope to try and mitigate as best we can the, the effects on the public at the moment, but the government just aren't listening. Slightly off your patch, but there was a huge fire in Deptford uh, 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 on Friday during the strike. Uh, FBU uh, 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 officials were, were telling firefighters to down tools and walk out. Do you agree with that? We've got a lawful right to go on strike. There was a huge fire, massive, massive fire, and you were prepared to, to, to tell your people to walk out of that? It was a fairly standard fire, actually, and in fact, when the, the fuss that the fire brigade made about it to try and set up a bit of a media stunt, they only replaced all the crews that we had there with four uh, strike-breaking crews. So it wasn't that big a fire. It was under control. There was no life risk. And, and, so and, you, actually, and you were happy, Keith. You were very happy. You talk about media stunts, but there was a fire. You're happy when, when fire crews are dealing with a big fire, and it was a big fire. You can't underplay it. Uh, you are happy for your members to down tools and walk off. I'm not very happy about being on strike at all. No, no, that wasn't the question. You were happy during a big fire in Deptford for your members to down tools and walk off whilst the fire was still blazing. You were happy for that. 
when people's lives weren't at risk and the, the agreements we'd reached with the national government about the terms by which we would turn out during strike and recall people to duty were met, we would have done that. But this was not one of those occasions. And so the you were happy? And the, chief, the government and the chief forester said consistently they have robust plans in place to Keith, cover Keith, the strike. So could, they say it's safe. Could you answer the question? You were happy. I have answered the question. No, you, you haven't. Let's have a yes or no answer then. Let's, let's make it simple. Maybe I'm being stupid this morning. Uh, the big fire in Deptford, you were happy to tell your members to down tools as soon as the strike... Uh, um, started and leave that big fire blazing. You were happy, yes or no? A fire that had no people's lives at risk, burning away when the, the, there is a contingency arrangements made by the government and by the fire service to cover our strike. I ha- do not have a problem with that. Wow. There will be people listening to that finding that in- in- incredibly... Um selfish and self-centred we all look to our fire services uh, as someone that we can we can trust but even if during a, a fire they're not prepared to deal with it that's that's going to lose you at quite a few points isn't it well, it's quite insulting really when you think that the people like ourselves actually choose a career where we put our, uh, put our lives at risk on a daily basis and we dedicate ourselves to that career and actually what we deserve are decent pensions for doing that and actually that's what the dispute's about this is only the second national strike in england and wales in 35 years we've got serious grievances what else do we do if the government doesn't listen i suggest you continue putting out fires even if you're on strike but keith thank you very much indeed keith hanscom from the fbu in bedfordshire and hertfordshire uh, my point of view on this whole fire strike thing is, is starting to shift particularly after friday's activities well, what's your view all right four five nine four double five five double five thank you barry good morning this is ian lee bbc three counties radio it's cold, it's wet, it's miserable. Oh, do you know what I'm going to do today? I think I'm going to treat myself and order and one of them uh, electric blankets. You heard of these? Electric blankets. You put it on the bed, it heats the bed up. Oh, oh. I'm going to treat myself. Why not? Lots coming up between now and nine o'clock. Including Kenneth Clark's mouth has got him into trouble again. This time he's described the Muslim veil as a most peculiar costume and a kind of a bag. He was talking about them getting in the way of juries and judges reading body language in court. But possibly he may have hit on something a bit more general. Do you think they get in the way of community understanding? This morning we're also talking about adoption. There are hundreds of children waiting for mums and dads and dads and dads and mums and mums in the three counties. But people are holding back. Some kids have been waiting for over a year. We'll find out why. If you're going to get in touch with us on any of these stories, facebook.com forward slash bbc3cr. Send me a text, 81333. Start your text, 3CR. Or the best way, phone calls. Good old-fashioned phone calls, 08459 Across beds, hearts and bucks. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. So we're talking about burkas. I know, I know, it's a staple of radio phonics. I think it's probably, let me think. I think it's the first time in, in uh, ten years of me doing radio phone-ins that I've ever actually done it. I've always neatly sidestepped and avoided it. But I just thought today... We sort of had to, to, to do it on this show, really, and it, it, it's expanded from Ken Clark saying, you know, we shouldn't have them in court, to more of how it affects people in society. We've had certain callers and Facebookers saying it scares them. It scares them? Someone's scared of what people choose to wear? It doesn't scare me. It I, mean, I, think it's, I think it's odd, if I'm on it. I think it's an odd thing to do, but if they want to do it, it doesn't bother me. Get on with it. I think skinny jeans are odd bother me get on with it i think people with purple uh, dr martin's boots i think it's odd but you know it's people's choice isn't it 
Craig's in Watford. Morning, Craig. Hi, how are you? All yeah, right? I'm good, thank you, Craig. What would you like to say? Well, just, I was listening to you talk about the burkas and how it scares some people. Yes. Um, for myself, there certainly was a bit of fear around that initially. Um, what happened? I mean, I looked into it because I used to get really, really angry with people in burkas and I wondered what it was all about. You used to, go ang- um, sorry, you used to get angry with them? I did, okay. yeah. Not, not on a personal level, but just in my head, yeah? Right, okay. Um, so, I mean, what happened? I really, really looked into it and for me, there was kind of a base fear and it all stemmed from, like, the terrorist bombings and all that. Right. Um, and what I was doing was kind of tarring everybody with the same brush. So, do you, do you still get angry about burkas? No, I, I mean, I've done a bit of work around this. And I, the funny thing for me was I actually went down to a local mosque um, and I spoke to a guy down there and I apologised for my, my kind of lack of awareness around other people's faiths and cultures. Wow. That really, really helped me, you know? There's so many things in there. You say you did some work around it, Craig. What work did you do? Well, I did kind of work around myself, a bit of kind of self-help type stuff. Right, yeah. yeah. So you, you looked at your attitudes and where they come from. I did, yeah. And you sort of almost, I don't want to say corrected your behaviour, because that makes it sound like you were wrong in the first place, but you managed, <laughs> you managed to change your thinking. I managed to change my thinking, yeah, and certainly that part of going up and speaking to somebody um, sounds really, really beneficial, yeah? And when you went up to this fellow in the, the local mosque, Craig, and said, look, this is what I've been thinking, I've changed my mind, I'm sorry, what, what did he say? Well, I, I spoke, I mean, I didn't tell him about the, the thoughts that were going through my head, I just, I spoke to him and I told him about my lack of awareness, he said, look, he said, if you want to calm down, you said a lot, I'm not sure he where I was coming from. I mean, he did want me to come down and speak to the local imam. Um, and I, he said, if you want to change your religion, I said, that. It's not why I've Maybe going a step too far. Craig, I'm going to let you go just because the line isn't very good, but it's an interesting story you had to tell. Thank you very much indeed. Did a bit of work around his thinking to try and work out why he was thinking it and changed it. Thank you. Oh, cracking call. 08459 555 is the telephone number. Well, Justin Dealey has been out on the streets talking to people about about this, about uh, um, uh, wearing burqas and veils on the back of uh, the comments by Ken Clark. Justin, who have you been talking to and what have people been saying? Hello, Ian. Some, uh, some more interesting comments coming up here. I've been asking people whether the veil should be removed in court, a bit like Ken Clark is saying, and also whether the veil is outdated in the year 2013. Here's what people had to say. I think it's up to the person if they want to wear it or not. I don't think it's that outdated or anything like that. Um, I choose not to wear it, although I do still wear it sometimes when I go out and about. I think it's just a person's decision. Can I ask you why you choose not to wear it? Um, <laughs> that's a very good question. Like I said, I do wear it sometimes like when I'm with my family and that, but... You know, other times I don't really wear it. It's just a sign of respect, really. So if I go to, like, Berry Park because I know it's full of Asians, then I will wear a veil. I think it's part of the Muslim faith and the religion. It's a matter for each um, female to decide whether they want to wear it or not. Do you wear one? No, I don't. Can I ask you why you don't? I don't think it's necessary for me to wear it, but if others choose to, I don't see whether anybody else should have a problem with it. No, I don't think yes, because I think I believe that... <coughs> The Muslim lady wants to wear the veil, she has a right because it's her choice. Mm. And um, personally, if they want to see her face, I think because the religion says um, Islamically she's allowed to show her face to another woman, 
and they should hire like a female person you know it's all about you know this country talks all about equality and diversity so i believe i think they should um, you know consider that as well what do you think though i mean some people would say that the muslim veil is is totally outdated now seeing people walking down the street and you can't see their face in the year 2013 yeah. what would you say to those people no i disagree i think you know islam comes from you know thousand years um, it's really old religion, so I don't, I don't, I don't believe that. You know, if it should, they can't change, so it shouldn't change now. Yes, they can. Well, if they want, but well, it's no problem. You say if they want, yeah. though. But should the burqa be removed? What do you think, honestly? Well, it's up to the person who is wearing. If he's happy to show his face, I know what you're saying. But, but Ken Clark's saying it should be removed to give evidence. Do you think the burqa, realistically, if you're giving evidence in court? facial expressions that the jury should be able to see that person's face well if 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 they make a law for that sort of things and if it's necessary uh, i don't mind for that just only for evidence but on the street or wearing people home or going here and there and that's his dress and if somebody said you can't wear that is that not nice in court i would say so yes definitely uh, well, it's a court of law, so why should uh, someone be treated differently from myself if I was in that situation? I'm wearing a cap. I don't know if I'll be able to go in court wearing this baseball cap. Be disrespectful. So that's how I would see it. You can walk down the road and you see ladies wearing next to nothing. They're wearing next to nothing. And some people are offended by that. I agree with that. I certainly do agree with that. Uh, but if a woman wa- wants to walk down the street uh, with her face covered uh, because, you know, it, she wants to respect her religious values, then uh, she should be allowed to do so. Justin, thank you very much indeed. Some uh, cracking uh, opinions there. Listening to that is Abdul Qadir Baksh from the Luton Islamic Centre. Abdul, it's not a religious requirement, is it, to wear the, the, the full veil? Well, um, in the, the, we've got to be a bit more clear about this matter. Um, there, there's two opinions in Islam regarding the veil. And uh, I think we need to really um, get the terminology right as well, because uh, this word burqa has been uh, flying around quite a lot, but I think it's really misunderstood by the vast majority of general people. Clarify that, for um, example, if you would. Okay, look, well, we have three types of, of um, libas, uh, clothing. One is the khimar. A khimar is just a headscarf, a head covering. Okay, now that doesn't look, it's not covering the, the face, that's the headscarf, head covering. Right. Then you have a jilbab. This is an outer garment, and again, that's from shoulder down, and that's not covering the, f- the face, it's all the head. It's, yeah. just, it's just from the shoulder down to the ankles, right? Yeah. Then you have the burqa. Now, the burqa is a complete covering from the head right down to the toes, but again, it does not stipulate that it covers the face. So the, so when people talk about burqa, it's, it's, it's just the, the khimar and the jilbab all in one. So what's the thing that covers the, the face, then? It's called a niqab. A niqab. Okay. Uh, with the N, niqab. Now, this, this is, or you can, in English, we just call it a face veil, right? Yeah. Now, um, is there, you know, um, is there actually um, evidence for this in our, in our religion? Is this something based, from, uh, based in our, on our religion? Then again, there's two opinions. Um, uh, actually, to be quite honest, the, the opinion is, is only one, that it is definitely from the religion. But is it an obligation to wear this? This is where the difference lies. Some scholars say, no, it's not an obligation. And some say, yes, it is an obligation. And uh, when they trace back the, uh, the evidences, uh, going back to the prophetic sayings and actions and the actions of his wives and the companions and the female companions that lived at his time, they found um, you know, evidences like, for example, at one point in, during the Hajj uh, pilgrimage, 
Um, the Prophet Muhammad peace be upon him told his wives to um, uh, to, uh, not, not to not to cover their um, their faces. Matter of fact, he told all the women not to cover their faces. So that 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 to some scholars um, implies that they were covering their faces then. So there must have been a veil at the time. So if uh, some people choose to take that opinion, then that's down to them. Abdul, what do you, what do you uh, think? Others, we're, we're hearing from, from uh, listeners this morning, who uh, uh, some of whom don't, don't care, couldn't care less, some of them who are, are scared and think it's isolating. Yeah, I was just saying on this point, there's two issues here, two. One is fear, and the other one is, are we, are we outdated? These are the two main criticisms or things we're hearing about uh, when, we, when people talk about the face value. Now, if you look at the first one, fear then your earlier caller already answered that. And he answered it so well. You know, there's nothing to fear. Go to the mosque, go to the Muslims, go to the girls who are wearing the niqabs and talk to them. And you'll find that they're no different than anybody else. Uh, they're no different than, uh, than, than, uh, than a girl who does quite the opposite and reveals most of her body. You'll see in, in the sense, in their speech, I mean, in, they're no different in their speech, in the way they come across to the women, their females, and so on and so forth. The other issue is the issue of, you know, being outdated. Now, this is very strange, you know. I think this, is, this has some uh, racist com- uh, connotations to it, or prejudice to, uh, added to it. The reason why I hold that opinion is because year by year we're living in a more global society, and we're learning about other cultures and other lives all over the world. England has got, has got every culture and you know, race and religion here, and just as much as uh, other places have in the world. Um, yet we refuse to want to learn about the niqab if that is part of a culture in another part of the world. So, that, you know, like, for example, Ken Clark in court saying that it's, um, you know, it should be removed. And that's his opinion. He has every right to hold that opinion. And, uh, you know, we have every right to disagree as well. Final but 30 seconds, Abdul. Sorry, just to cut in. Uh, it, it, on the subject of, of wearing the niqab in a court of law, it's true, isn't it, that, that, that you need to, a judge needs to see someone's face when they are giving evidence well, to, look, to tell if people are telling the truth or not? You know, no, no, I don't believe so, because if you really? look at other parts of the world, you know, because if you look at other parts of the world, like Saudi Arabia, Qatar, and Emirates, women can give testification with their niqabs on. Right. So why don't we... Doesn't mean it, but it doesn't mean judges, it's... How about the judges and juries going over there or getting no. some, some no. awareness, some learn, learning about, about facial expressions, uh, etc. Uh, no, but Abdul, uh, our, our system, the, the system of justice in this country has been based on that you, you do... And it is important, I'm surprised that's your reaction, uh, it, it is important to see, surely, the whole face... To, uh, well, to, to no, 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 Abdul, but, but listen, when you, to, because we, we can tell so much from facial tics, from the way someone rubs their nose, from the way they bite their lip, from all of these things, and okay. it gives everyone so a fair that, chance, doesn't what it? That, what that implies is that they've got an unjust court, or, or court um, of law in every Muslim country in the world, then. It doesn't necessarily. Yeah, no, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about what you're saying. No, it doesn't necessarily imply, yeah. uh, imply that. Well, but we don't want. You are, you are, are implying the opposite by saying that you have to see this to judge fairly. That means okay, you're unfairly okay. over there. Okay, yeah, they're, okay. Being ju- they're being judged unfairly over there, yeah. Okay, now that, they, there you go. Now, the, the, this needs to be researched now. It needs to be. Really well, no, it doesn't. It doesn't, doesn't because, because it's obvious. It. Abdul, it's, it's obvious. Question, Abdul. One question. Ha, one question. Has the, has, have our judges and juries, people who are involved in, 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 in law, have they been over there to. to why study why this should our judges and juries go to Saudi Arabia, why. Abdul? Because we're living in a global society. Why now. should our. I'll ask you, Abdul, Abdul, you're being, you're being silly. You're not going to send out. Well, you're not going to send. Oh, that's fair enough. Fair you're, enough no, you are being silly. You're not going to send. Abdul. Abdul, listen. We learn about Islam and Catholicism and Christianity, Chinese religion, Hinduism in school. 
school. Abdul, yes, good. In school. But you're not going to send juries over to Saudi Arabia. That's, that's ridiculous, well, they, isn't it? You don't have to send them over there. They can come over here. They, but they, but, but, but why? The government, needs, the government needs to increase its own knowledge about their niqab, their, 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 their face veil, and they need to understand that if, if they come across women who's chosen to wear this themselves, then they have, they have to find ways in which they can train themselves to judge whether they're telling the truth Why or not. should they? Why and should they? it's not they? just about facial expression. Abdul, we have to end it there. Abdul Qadir Baksh from the Luton Islamic Centre. Well, uh, certainly uh, a fiery argument there. I would say flawed in, in several levels, but maybe you agree with Abdul. 08459 555555. Uh, thanks for your patience, Alice. Let's get the travel. The big tour is coming. <laughs> the big tour is coming. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what it is. Uh, now, Jonathan, I don't know if you... I've not, I've, not, I've not read the emails. Now, Jonathan, I don't know if you heard this morning, we spoke to Lolu. Lolu was a gentleman who called up... Yes. ...and um, well, the phones are broken. Uh, he called up to say, the phones are fine, and we got him through, and I said, oh, while you're on, we need to do something with you. We can't just have you on to say the phones are fixed. That would be a little bit lame. Could you do an impression of Justin Dealey, for example? He said, oh, no, I couldn't do Justin. I can do Jonathan Vernon Smith, though. Fantastic. I said, Lolu, away you go. Have a listen to this. This is uh, uh, Lolu, a caller to the show at 10 to 7, doing an impression of you. This is Jonathan Vernon Smith. Call me at 9 o'clock to discuss, um, um, well, anything really. Well, Jonathan Vernon Smith is here. Jonathan, what do you make of that? It's rubbish. Is <laughs> that anything like me? Sorry, it's a bit Is that supposed to be an impression of me, or just saying the kind of things I would say, but in his own voice. Well, he, he, I'll be honest, yes, it was very, very similar to his voice. We, we struggled to notice any differentiation, but he seemed adamant that he could do a good impression of you. I think you're being a bit harsh on him. Really? Well, I'm sorry. Sorry if I've shattered any illusions there. Have have you done, you're doing some judging, aren't you, for a dancing competition? (laughs) Have you you done it yet? No. Okay, you get, you, you're kind of working up to it. You're becoming Mr. Nasty, are you? Oh. Is that what you're, is that what you're doing Well, I was was just being truthful. I mean, did you want me to say that he did a brilliant impression of me? Because everyone listening would know i was lying wow you're cold you know you're cold. i mean it's rubbish it's probably the worst impression i've ever heard you've changed last 30 minutes of the show jvs impressions oh eight four five nine five double five now it's nice to see you you've got a busy show coming up what's happening on your show this well, morning i'm very interested in this discussion you've been having about the veil and ken clark's comments so coming up from nine this morning i'll be asking would banning the veil be good for british society former justice secretary ken clark says women should not be allowed to wear the muslim veil when giving evidence in court as it's impossible to know if they're telling the truth he described the veil as a most peculiar costume for people to adopt in the 21st century and compared the clothing to some kind of bag. Well, Mr Clark's not the only politician to raise concerns about the veil. Home Office Minister Jeremy Brown, he's urged the government to ban veils in public places such as schools. And this morning, very interested in your conversation you had with Steve Bletchley, Mm. he seemed to be arguing that the veil puts a brick wall between the person wearing it and the rest of the world. And he argued that this was bad for our society. But I wonder whether it would be worse for our free, liberal society if we were to ban the veil. From nine this morning, I want your views on this. Would banning the veil be good for British society? You can get your call in after nine on 08459 455 555. And if you missed that, just to recap. This is Jonathan Vernon Smith. Call me at nine o'clock to discuss, um, um, well, anything really. <laughs> Across beds, hearts and bucks. This is Ian Lee. BBC Three Counties Radio. 
Now, nearly 200 children across the three counties are waiting to be adopted, with many waiting for more than a year. But according to the British Association for Adoption and Fostering, too many of us assume we wouldn't be suitable because we're not a traditional family unit. Think of, like, the Cunninghams from Happy Days. Well, Sean and his partner Lee adopted two children from Buckinghamshire County Council. Sean, why did you want to adopt? It just seemed like the, uh, the natural thing for us to do. I mean, when we... Going back, really, when I came out to my friends and family back in the ni- early 90s, it seemed that giving up... Uh, we were giving up things like a, a legally recognised relationship. You're giving up a family life to be the person you are. And obviously times changed, laws changed. We were able to get to a partnership. And then we basically discussed it and found that, you know, actually, we've got a place in our life. We can actually offer a stable, loving home to some children. And, uh, and so that's what we did. We approached Bucks County Council and started the adoption process. And b- before you went into the process, Sean, were you, were you confident that you'd be successful? Uh, to be honest with you, no, but not because of my sexuality. It, back in 2004-2005, I had a period of depression. And to be honest with you, that was my primary concern. It was more about, will I be thought of as uh, appropriate because of this period of depression? Or would I be... My sexuality actually never really lost my mind because... As a unit, me and Lee were perfectly sound and strong and loving, and you know, we, we had that there. And so, what my message to anybody out there who's thinking of approaching adopted is just because you think you've got a negative, it may not actually be. The fact that I sought help, the fact that I, I turned things around and actually turned it worked in my favor, it acted as a positive. But my sexuality never uh, crossed my mind as being a negative. Have you come across any prejudice around this, Sean? Actually, no. So I think from possibly what your discussion on birds has shown, sometimes the, the smallest mouths are attached to the, sorry, the smallest minds are attached to these mouths. But the, um, the actually the opposite. The amount of support we've had has been fantastic. My two kids go to a brilliant primary school, and one particular day, their teacher took me to one side and said, "Look, we're doing Mother's Day cards this weekend." what would you like your kids to make? Would you like them to make it for another family member? And it's that sort of thing. It's the unexpected things. It, it's not negative. We've not found prejudice. We've actually found massive amounts of support. How old are your kids? Uh, Elizabeth is six and Chris is four. And they're in the car with me now. Fantastic. Well, hello. Hello to both of you. Excellent stuff, Sean. I appreciate you coming on. We're also joined now by Alan Harmon, who uh, and his same-sex partner successfully adopted in Luton. And you've got two kids as well, have you, Alan? Uh, yeah, funny enough, uh, ours are six and four as well, so we've had them both since they were, ooh, our daughter, she was before she was one, and our son just before he was two. So, now, yeah. they, may, they must have started to notice that yours is not the, uh, in inverted commas, traditional family setup. They've got two dads. At what, at what point did they notice it, and, and what, how did you explain it to them? Uh, yeah, our daughter is, you know, she's quite an intelligent little thing, and she is starting to know that some of her friends at school have got mums and dads, some have just got mums, some of you know, in all sorts of different scenarios, really, you know, nowadays, I guess, with divorces and remarriages and things. So she does occasionally ask, and I think that's part of what the training to become an adoptive parent helps you with. It's kind of, you know, we've been on, even been on a specific course since we've had our children through Luton uh, to talk to, to find out how to talk to your children, how to explain it to them, how to make sure that they're fully, fully in the know, really, so that there's no surprises and they really understand how they've ended up where they are. Have you had any uh, negative reactions? No, I think, I don't know whether we've just been really lucky or whether we're just the sort of people who generally get on very well with everybody, but no, we haven't really. I would say at the very beginning we were a bit wary of how would we be treated, but 
no, it's been all positive, really. I mean, usual stuff. I guess any parent goes through ups and downs with having children, but no. Oh, yeah, the ups and downs, that's describing <laughs> it, Mark. I've got, I got two boys, four and two, or thereabouts. It's hard work. It, well, it is hard work, but, you know, as you obviously know, your life completely changes, yeah. and, but, you know, 99.9% of it is for the, is for the better. Uh, and they, are, they become pretty much everything, don't they? They, your are, life they are revolves a around gift. Them. How did you find the adoption process, Alan? Was it... Was it uh, hard i think we were probably i think we were the first gay couple to walk through the luton borough council doors and say we want children so uh i think we you know we gave them a bit of a surprise we probably had a bit of extra attention from most of the social workers and and whatever but no it, i mean some of it's quite personal you've got to go into it your eyes open you've got to be completely honest you've got to be uh don't hide anything your families have got to know everything about what you're doing because they're going to come and see them they're going to they're going to you know they're going to check you out to make sure that you really are in a position to be looking after children did they put you under pressure do you think uh, I don't know if pressure's the right word, but I see it as they're just preparing you. I mean, you know, it's easy to have a family, isn't it, in, in a more traditional method without perhaps any pre- any preparation or any training. Whereas if you're going to become an adopted parent, they want to know that you've got backup plan. You know, who's going to be there in the middle of the night if you're both ill? Or, you know, who, who are you going to call? And what do you know? And part of that for me was they suggested I go and work in a nursery. So I spent a year, uh, a few hours a week, working in a nursery. And that was amazing. <laughs> eye oh. opener as well as good old training for when suddenly you've got a 10 month old in your hands yeah I bet listen I appreciate your time best of luck it's hard work but as you say it, it is the best job in the world isn't it wonderful it's Alan Harmon uh, who uh, successfully adopted in Luton 08459 455 555 and if you're in Buckinghamshire the Buckinghamshire adoption team will be online on the county council's twitter page at buckscc and you can ask them questions uh, if you're interested in adopting or fostering right call 08459 455 555 BBC Three Counties Radio morning i've just been caught out we've mentioned this before we have a little game we like to play here at uh, uh, on this show where we try and scare the life out of each other to the point we like to burst out of each other and go rah to the point where this morning as i came into work i walked up the stairs like uh, peter sellers in a pink panther film one arm stretched out waiting for kato to jump at me and uh, it slapped me with a pair of nunchucks he didn't but but I popped to the loo during Baf- uh, Gary uh, Gary <laughs> Barry's. <laughs> we'll come up with a name from now. Uh, during Barry's news, as I came back, Kelly Betts was hiding behind a door. And Kelly, uh, can you just recreate the noise that you recreated that you did there? <laughs> and then the noise that I made. <laughs> and you filmed it, didn't you? I did. It's brilliant. You can tweet that if you want. Thanks. Oh, you go. You see, if you want to see a, a, a man in his forties being actually terrified whilst carrying a plant, don't ask why then uh, it'll be on Twitter uh, very, very soon. We're talking about burkas. Ken, um, uh, Ken Clark has said it looks like someone's wearing a bag and that, 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 that people shouldn't wear it in courts, which is, which is certainly one argument. I, I think I'd agree with that if someone's giving evidence in court. I think you do need to say uh, to see their faces. We were talking uh, earlier on to uh, Abdul Qadir Baksh, who says, no, 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 no. He's um, from the Luton Islamic says, no, no, no. In Saudi Arabia... They, uh, they wear burqas. Are you saying their, their justice system is flawed? Have I got this right? That they, do they still chop off hands in Saudi Arabia? So I would say on many levels, if that's the case, in many levels, they have got it completely wrong. Lots of texts coming in on this, and you can give me a call. 08459 455 555. Math says, Ian, you're a tall man. I am. I'm six foot three. 
Walk down a back alley, and which would you rather see? A tattooed man, someone with a football scarf around the lower part of his face, or someone in a balaclava? Then picture that as someone with children or elderly. The threats are always perceived differently when and where you are. I'd rather see someone in the, the niqab than um, uh, a fully tattooed man. There, I've said it. I've said it. And I mean it, actually. Fully tattooed man in a vest or in a football shirt. I'd rather see someone in a niqab as I walk down a, a, an alleyway. Yeah, no, I'm just thinking, I do, I do mean that, actually, yes. 08459 555555. Here we go. Just to throw a spanner in the works, as someone who is totally blind, I've never been able to see people's faces. Rest assured, I'm not losing any sleep over it. I believe it prevents people from judging a person by the looks. It does come down to trust. If I was a judge, I wouldn't he- even have the option to see someone's face. Would that mean I'm not able to sit in a courtroom to take evidence? But, um, but um, I don't know. Are there any really blind judges? I, f- I don't know if there are. Also, blind people—they have like su- sort of superpowers, don't they? The, the, the kind of well, they're not superpowers, but they have developed highly developed sense of hearing and sniffing out lies and stuff. Uh, Ian, I was once refused entry to a petrol station until I took off my crash helmet. Are people wearing religious full face coverings expected to do the same? And if not, why not? Um, two more of these very quickly, and then we'll get to Paul and Amgad. Um, Ian, I've never spoken to a person wearing uh, the burqa, as these people do not want to interact with me. How do you know they don't want to interact with you? That's the thing. It's because they're covering their faces and not rushing up to you and going, Hey, guys! Free hugs? That doesn't mean they don't want to interact. They want to keep themselves to themselves. I'm happy with that. I say live and let live. But I think those who wear a burqa or the niqab uh, to court should show their face. Um, by the way, we can't see Dennis's face as he talks to you on the phone. We can't see his expressions. We accept that he's telling the truth. Well, do we? Do we, though? Uh, and Debbie says, the burqa should be banned. I agree with Dennis. If I ever go into a shop and someone is on the till with one, I leave my shopping and go. It's two fingers to our society. Well, Paul is on the M1. Good morning, Paul. Hello? Paul, what, 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 what on earth is going on there? It sounds like there's a riot going on. What, what's your take on this? Um, well, firstly, I'll say so there's no uh, misunderstanding here. One, I'm not scared of the burqa, uh, anybody who wears it, because I've got friends that are Muslim. But, but I think wearing it in public should be banned. Why? Well, OK. Like one of your taxes have touched, you go in a patch station or a bank, you need to remove your crash helmet. Right. Yeah. But they aren't made to remove it. It's double standard. Okay, all right. So, so, so supposing we change the rules. So if you pop into an Esso or a Texaco, you have to take off your niqab, and then when you step back outside, you can put it back on. Is that okay? Well, fine. But on the other hand, is there any policeman left in me? And how, how long would it take before I would be arrested if I decided, right, okay, for the whole month of February, I'm going to wear a balaclava everywhere I go. Yeah, it's interesting, the balaclava thing, because I remember in the 70s, everyone bought... The IRA gave balaclavas a bad name, because they were, they were big fashion things. I remember wearing balaclavas to school. My dad used to wear a balaclava. Uh, the, but d- d- I don't know what the rules are on balaclavas. Can we get Justin out in a balaclava one morning to see what, what happens? Because uh, I don't know... But you know, yeah, I, I can sort of see your point, but isn't, yeah. one of the, isn't one of the great things about this country, Paul, is that we welcome people with open arms. We let them do... What we want, what, what they want to do, it doesn't doesn't really yeah, matter. But, but we are too soft. Why are we too soft? Why are we too soft? Uh, well, like you were talking, you know, uh, about Saudi Arabia. You know, yeah, they do still cut hands off for stealing. You know, 
Hang on, I'm confused. You're not saying you want to cut off people's hands now, are you? Well, no, but uh, society in, in the UK is so soft. OK, how would you toughen but, it up? What would you like to see toughened? All the laws. All the laws. Well, you're speaking in, in the broadest of brushstrokes. Give me an example. OK. Um, you're walking down the street, literally. Um, even that. It's making our country untidy. Right, so what should, what should, in, Paul's, in Paul's laws, what should be the penalty for littering? It should be at least double or triple what it is now, and made give community service to go out with litter. Community service? Just for dropping an apple on the floor? Why not? Would you chop off anybody's hand for anything, Paul? Not for anything, no. Um, you know, you'd be given a chance. You know, say, you know, there's somebody out there shoplifting. You'd, you know take them to court, you know, yeah. whatever, fine, all the rest of it, do it again, you get a warning, uh, you know, you do, you, you do it the second time, then, yeah, okay, lose fingers. They wouldn't do it then, because they wouldn't have a finger. How, how many fingers would you lose for your second offence of stealing um, some Hovis? All of them, or just two, or...? Well, no, you know what I mean? It depends on the severity of it, doesn't it? Let's face it, you know what I mean? If it's something small, you lose a small finger. It's if it's a finger. big thing, you lose a whole lot. If you go out and, you know, you're committing major crimes, then, yeah, the, the laws in Saudi okay. Arabia... OK, are, so let's just... I just want to, just want to establish this, Paul. Paul, so for a loaf of bread, what, you lose a little finger? For uh, a turkey, two fingers? Yeah. And for a car, what, the whole hand? Something like that, yeah. Paul, thank you very much indeed. Well, you've got to have a system. You've got to have a system. The thing is, the worrying thing is, I think he genuinely believed that. 08459 455 555. Amgad's on the M25. Morning, Amgad. Morning. Would you like to see people having their hands chopped off for stealing cars? No, no. I'm, uh, let me clarify that. I'm Muslim myself. Right. I, I personally disagree with that, so uh, I'm not sure what the gentleman was talking about before. I. Uh, what do I you think about wearing of the niqab? Um, I, I, just people need to understand it, it's an optional, it's, it's a choice. So, uh, and I disagree also with the gentleman who came from the uh, Luton, um, Luton Muslim um, Centre. Yes. Um, it, regarding, regarding the uh, given evidence in court, I think given evidence in court, I, w- I, would, I would make a law to take the, the, the veil off at this time. Again, because it's not, it's not something that religion said. So if the religion didn't say, you have to cover up which what the gentleman from Luton Centre Moss said. So why, why people do it in, in that specific scenario, which where 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 they are in in, in court? We, we, well, the, the gentleman we were speaking to from uh, uh, the Luton Islamic Centre, Abdul Qadir Baksh, he he was saying that listen, it works in other countries, it works in Saudi Arabia, people keeping their faces covered. So why why shouldn't it work in Britain? No, I disagree. I'm Egyptian myself. I've been here for 15 years, and, and I'm kind of very grateful to this society and this country that they give me a lot and my, my children, but it doesn't mean that I'm going to bring the law from Egypt to be applied here. And I think the law in this country is fair and is well well established. So why do we need to bring whatever what he was recommended by bringing some juries to... Well, taking them to Saudi Arabia or the other way around. I totally disagree with that. And Ged, thanks very much for your time. I'm just ending it there because I want to squeeze in Richie before the uh, travel. Richie's in Northampton. Morning, Richie. Morning. What would you like to say? I'd say I believe that people come to this country because we are a multinational society and they come here to find a new life. So 
to bring their old traditions and their old ways into our own country is all well and good, but it should be acceptable to our society as well. We shouldn't lose our own faith and our own um, history traditions just for other faiths. So our, our legal system has been a strong legal um, justice system for the time, so uh, we shouldn't change that just to introduce a hijab, a nijab, in so that they can follow their own traditions. If you come to this country, you accept our traditions and our ways. We don't go to Saudi Arabia with our girlfriends and kiss in public or let them wear bikinis because we know that will offend them. They're, people from the Islamic nation know that even though the nijab is not a uh, thing that's so I'm shaking. <laughs> Don't shake, Richard, people, you're doing a cracking job. Go on. Uh, the nijab's not something that they have to wear. Some people are forcing it onto their, their own their own women to make them do it because they're trying to bring back old ways. But those old ways are what these people are trying to escape. So why should we introduce a law that they can wear them? We should be protecting them, and this is what they come to England for. Uh, Richie, thank you very much indeed. Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. We've had people saying that they're scared of uh, seeing the, the, these women in the the niqab, the the, the full face veil. Why are you scared? I don't understand why you'd be scared. I know it's often... It's, uh, listen, I'm scared of spiders. Why are you scared of spiders? I don't know. But can we... Can we just try and analyse this a little bit more? If you are scared or made uncomfortable when you see women walking down the streets with their faces covered, just, just the eyes are exposed, g- give me a call and let's see if we can get to the bottom of why you are scared, what exactly it does to you and where does that come from. It doesn't scare me. It doesn't bother me in the slightest. Just think, oh, okay, fair enough, you've chosen to do that. I don't necessarily think it's the best idea in the world, but that's your choice. Well done. String vests are not the best idea in the world. Some people walk down the street wearing them. Don't bother me. 08459 555 is the telephone number if you want to give me a call on that. Or you can uh, facebook.com forward slash BBC3CR. BBC Three Counties Radio. I've just seen, sometimes I despair. Most of you are wonderful and intelligent and fantastic and we may disagree on things and that's great that's what makes local radio wonderful I've just seen a Facebook comment oh and it's made me despair it really has the ignorance of some people I'll read it in a second stay tuned you'll want to hear this coming up in a minute I will um, oh dear I'll read you a a Facebook comment that really has um, oh it's depressed me but before that let's get the weather with Kate I lost uh, 10 minutes or so of the show 08459 455 555 can I read a comment from Facebook that Maureen Mackay has put up there. And it it just... Oh, it depresses me that someone could write this. Subject of burqas and niqabs and face veils. If I went to Muslim land wearing a bathing suit and said to them, look, you're living in a global community, so I should be allowed to wear what I want in your country, what do you think would happen to me? Well, I think if you started calling it Muslim land... More. Where exactly is? If I gave you a map, Maureen, could you point to Muslim land? Where exactly? I mean, I'm laughing, but it's just Muslim land. You see, this is this is the problem. You see, I think with a lot of this, is that there is such ignorance. Listen, I didn't know I, uh, the, the full face face veil was was the niqab. I didn't know that niqab. So uh, we've got that. Okay. So I'm learning this morning, which is great. But there was a chair. But Muslim land. Really? Oh, dear, oh, dear, oh, me. And isn't it, I'm thinking about it, isn't this about respect? There are certain laws in Muslim land, okay, 
It is illegal to to kiss in public and to to wear certain things. They are the laws. It is not illegal in this country to cover your face with a veil. Okay, but also it's respect. When I went on honeymoon to India, we went to um, uh, I I can't remember exactly where it was, but we went to this amazing um, kind of shrine. Okay, and my wife had to cover her legs and cover her arms and cover her chest. Great. Not a problem at all. There was an Italian couple who were staying in our hotel, and we also saw them the same day. Uh, tall, slim, hot Italian woman. She was wearing shorts. Uh, okay, yeah. Uh, and she was wearing a T-shirt that had a picture of a naked woman on. And I think that the slogan on it was something like, come and get it. Something like that. And in the hotel, my wife and I going, she's not going to go out wearing that, is she? Now, th- you-, you could wear that in Italy. You could wear that in the streets of London. It's not appropriate to wear it in an Indian shrine, is it? Of course. And, and she, she covered up because they were giving out, um, you know, t- scarves and things to cover yourself up with. But you would just think a little bit of respect would have stopped her wearing that. And that's what it's about, isn't it? Respect. More than the laws of the country, it's respect. When we go to Greece, there's a church we like to go and visit. Uh, and uh, sometimes my wife will be wearing a, a, a top, not particularly low cut, but she might be showing a bit of chest. Not breast, a bit of chest. She has to cover up when she goes into the church. Fantastic. People get turned away from the church because they're not showing respect. Now, is it disrespectful for women in this country to cover their faces? I don't think it particularly is. In a court of law, possibly, walking down the streets, going to the shops, going to Tesco, I don't think it is disrespectful. Is it? Is it? Harriet's in Cambridge. Morning, Harriet. Morning. What would you like to say? Um, oh, Harriet, turn your radio off, because it might get a little confusing. Ah, OK. Uh, that's, that's better. Go on. Um, well, I do think that um, it can cause sort of segregation. Um, I've been abroad quite a bit with my parents, and whenever we went abroad, um, we always changed our dress and behaviour to fit in with whatever culture we were um, visiting in respect to their beliefs and their ways of life and you know that made you know people more friendly towards us as visiting foreigners because we were showing respect for their culture and the way they um wanted us to behave but i do think that when people come in to live in this country that's great if it means they can have a better way of life but a lot of the time they seem to sort of set up their own little cultures within our bigger culture and although cultural diversity is great because it opens our eyes to the way different people behave around the world it can be quite sort of off-putting, you sort of walk into an area and it's sort of like, no, this is our area and it can feel quite sort of um, like they're trying to push you away When when you've walked into an area Harriet, has anyone ever actually said, no, this is our area? No, but body language can do an awful lot and I think when you sort of like get huddles of people sort of who sort of like keep glancing at you in a hostile manner and you're thinking hang on this is my country and we really it's great that other people want to come and live here well but i think they can they can be sort of like there's different areas I, into I understand what you're saying. Places. I understand what you're saying. Lots of, lots of people lots of people that you're referring to of course will have been born in this country so it is their country oh, as well. Where 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 specifically are you talking about? Well, I mean, I've been to London a couple of times and there are areas in London that have sort of been become cultural sort of different spots. I know London stuff. very well. I lived there for 20 years. Whereabouts in London are you talking about? Well, like you you've got um some of the areas near the uh, what's it called? Um Spitalfields Market, 
there are some areas there where we were just walking down the street and it was like suddenly everywhere there were people wearing um, sort of burka-type dress. Right. And then um, there's someone near where my boyfriend lives called Slough, which has become very... Um, oh, Harriet, we're on home turf. I grew up, I grew up in Slough. I lived in Slough. I live, I, really? I, I grew up in Slough, yeah. I spent the first cool. 20 years of my life in Slough. Uh, and it, it never... And I know exactly, there are, there are areas in Slough, and let's not get too uh, specific out of the beds, hearts no. and hearts, but there are areas in there that have very high Asian communities. It never, mm. it never bothered me once, and at no point walking through those Asian communities did I feel I was being looked at, did I feel I was um, being judged or thought of any differently. So maybe it's not the areas and the people that live there, Harriet. Maybe it's it's... You. Maybe it's your, um, I don't want to say prejudice, because that's too strong a word, but your inner perceptions. Mm, maybe. I mean, I've, I've, I've been to the schools with loads of different um, culture people, and they're, and they're lovely, but I don't know, it's when you get sort of people refusing to sort of just... I don't know. Okay, Harry. Well, well, I don't think that happens in Slough. I listen, I know Slough very well. I'm in there regularly. My mum lives near there. I have never thought, oh, this is, this is, I'm not welcome here as a, as a white English person. I, 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 listen, I, I grew up in Slough, I know all the swear words in Hindi and Urdu, I do. And once in a shop, uh, a fella was talking to his mate and he kind of nodded at me and he said something very, very rude in Urdu. I said, I beg your pardon? He said, what? I said, I know what you just said then, about my mum. I did. And he said, oh, 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 I'm terribly sorry, sir. But I've never felt uncomfortable in Slough. Interesting. Something to think about. Y- Yusuf's on the M1. Morning, Yusuf. Morning, Ian. Great show. Thank you very much. What do you reckon about uh, the, the the face veil? I reckon they should ban it. No disrespect to Muslims, but um, if you Google, um, like I said to the lady earlier, if you Google Fulham um, jewelry stores um, being robbed, you'll find my cousin's shop. Um, a, um, a guy. It was actually a guy wearing wearing that uh, the thing. Yeah. And um, they jumped over the they jumped over the counter. There was three of them. Only one of them was wearing it, so he was acting like a lady. Uh, jumped over the counter and tried them um, robbing the shop. And I just think, you know, this is why you you asked why are people scared? Ian, people are scared because they don't know what's behind what's behind it. And no disrespect to them, you know, um, they can, I do agree with the way that they do their religion. That they follow their religion. You know, everyone has their own beliefs. However. We live in we live in a country where we need to know everyone, and that's why we've got CCTV. And that's Yusuf, well, we, uh, thank you very much for your point. I'm just ending it next. I want to squeeze in Bill before the end of the show. Bill, you got uh, 45 seconds. What would you like to say? Yeah, they're right. I mean, you know, everybody should have a right to do things, but why why discriminate against uh, youngsters? Youngsters really get a bad bad press. They wear hoodies, scarves, caps. Whenever they go in shops, they're thrown out straight away. Why should? And that's because people people want to be they want to recognise if somebody shoplifts for that. Why should you go in with a veil? I mean, if they had a name on the front of the the uh, the, the the cap, so that you you could see you could tell who they were, or a number on the back, so you could see them from the top on CCTV. What? Then that work, wouldn't it? Well, put 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 a number on to come in number seven. Your time is up. Yeah. Bill, we'll, we'll end it there on that uh, controversial and um, some strong, cracking arguments and some honest, some really poor arguments as well this morning. Thank you very much in, uh, indeed. Jonathan Vernon-Smith will be carrying on uh, this discussion uh, after nine o'clock, so do say to him. If you want to call him, I'd start calling him now because the phones always get very, very busy. 
08459 455 555 is the telephone number if you want to give him a call. Don't forget, you can email me at any point uh, when I'm on air or off air. It's all it's all groovy, man. Ian.Lee, I-A-I-N dot L-E-E at bbc.co.uk. Don't forget, you can go and download the podcast, the best of last week, some cracking stuff in there. Go to the uh, Three Counties page or iTunes. That's it from me. Until tomorrow at six. Ta-ta. Local and vocal across beds, hearts and bucks. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. Thank you, Ian.